everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and... Uh, Matt? Scott, I don't want to start. If I start, that means we're one step closer to the end. Nah, but Matt, all stories come to an end eventually, whether we... Like it or not, nothing lasts forever as as much as we want it to. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess committing your entire existence to a fear-driven crusade, torturing and murdering countless worlds worth of living beings, all for the vain hope of putting off the inevitable end, isn't such a good idea. I guess that would be pretty silly, huh, Scott? (laughs) That's right, Matt. Very silly. Because you see, our time in this story might be over, but our memories of this time together will never truly go away. They'll exist, perpetually, in all our hearts, souls, and possibly those data crystals over there. I don't know, shit's weird. I guess that's true. So, you ready to start the show now, buddy? Finish this big old book? Yeah, I I guess I am. Well, good. Now shut the fuck up. It's my time to talk. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of permanent European vacations, perpetuity, and human-based acceptance powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we conclude Ward with the epilogue chapters 20.e6 and 20.end. First, we catch up with Crystal, who's committing her life to helping her family by breaking up a marriage and deporting her cousin to Paris or something. God, you just know Amy's going to be like the type of person that like wears a beret and hangs out at a coffee shop and like tries and fails to pronounce croissant with a French accent. You just just know it. She's just going to be so insufferable. Yeah. Then on our final chapter, it's Missy's 18th birthday as she reunites with old friends and also Kid Wynn for a wonderful barbecue. Everyone gets closure. Everyone, even Tristan and Byron. And we depart Ward with our characters warm around the fire looking forward to what the future brings. Also, Rain probably gets a hand job. I mean, you were all thinking it, There right? was a blanket. Yeah. Matt, what did you think about these final chapters? I mean, they're the final chapters. What can I say? Uh, you know, we, we get interludes from characters that I think we've wanted for quite a while. Uh, very satisfyingly done. Uh, exceptionally dense and rich and just full of satisfying kind of resolutions. Uh, and... I don't know. I loved it. I love this as an ending to the story. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about that in detail, but I I just, you know, when I when I turned the final metaphorical page, you know, when, <laughs> when I rotated the final scroll wheel, um, <laughs> when I panned the final screen of iPhone, um, I, I, I just like smiled and just like was like that was just perfect. And that's yeah, that's that's my feeling. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think 
you know, every single one of these epilogue chapters has been very, very satisfying in different ways, each of them. And I think these two are kind of the perfect way to cap off this book. I mean, there's so much in here. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think these chapters and the final chapter specifically, like, sets out to do a lot of things. It caps off the epilogue. It caps off the book. And I think it actually also manages to kind of cap off the parahumans universe. Like, I I will always say, oh, I will always come back to this universe if there's more written in it, right? Always. I will always say that. And I'm sure there's plenty more stories that you can tell. But I also kind of think this leaves it at a place where I'd be okay just never coming back here again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, to me, a, a sign of a good conclusion. Sure. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I, I was definitely... I think at the end of Worm, I, I was like, okay, well, you know, what are these characters going to do now? And, and, and we were kind of left wondering, right? And I think, I think this leaves everyone in a place where we can just kind of watch them sail off into the sunset and feel like yeah. that was good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talked a lot at the end of Worm about how it was a very ambiguous ending, um, at least regarding the fate of Taylor. I guess it depends on who you ask. Some people say it's not ambiguous like you. But um, I, I don't think there's anything really ambiguous in this ending. I, I guess you could argue that the the message that with the shards um, – the entities like what they learned and what they etched is technically left open technically. Um, but that's not something that like, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to know the answer right now. Right. And I, I think within the frame of the story, that ambiguity is like, it, it doesn't really matter that it's ambiguous because yeah, no matter yeah. what, we'll be able to handle it. We have faith in ourselves. And, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you're still satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, some quick announcements. I mean, there's, I guess there's kind of a lot to announce, honestly. Yeah, there uh, is. There is. This is the last chapter of the story. So that was, you know, that was one thing to announce. I guess we already <laughs> I kind think, of announced that. I feel like they know. I, I I think I don't think anyone's listening to this and is going to go, wait a minute. What? <laughs> uh, so basically, this is our you know final episode where we're actually covering the chapters in, 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 the, in the usual way. But we're going to have another episode which will be a live stream, which yeah. will be our, our mailbag. We'll, we'll discuss uh, the questions that, that y'all send in to us. Um, um, are we're we going to talk about the, the stream on that? <laughs> yeah, I think we are. I think we're okay, going to interact yeah. with the stream. We'll answer questions there. I want to talk about the book broadly. I yes. want to talk about lessons learned from you know, reading a serial. I want to talk about lessons I learned from doing this show. I think this was an experiment doing a show like this. And I think we learned a lot about ourselves and about storytelling and all these things. And I kind of want to have a whole episode dedicated to going over that stuff. So that's one of the things we're going to do. Um, yeah, we're going to stream it live. We stream for those that don't know, we stream every one of our recording sessions, but we do it for our patrons. It's a benefit for those that support us. Thank you everyone that's listening on the stream right now. Hello. Um, but we're going to open this up in our final episode to celebrate it. We're going to open it up to everyone. So, um, Matt, I think we normally record at nine 30 PM central time. Um, is that, are we doing eight 30 that we should have talked about this before we started, but I, I, I believe next week it's probably going to be 930 at night, right? Yeah, probably. I think, yeah. I think that's the safe time to to avoid any kind of conflicts. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will, of course, tweet that out on our Twitter account. So if you don't follow at GotWormPod on Twitter, maybe do that. Um, we'll also put that in our Discord for all our patrons. We'll we'll put it everywhere we can. Um, we'll, it'll also be on our calendar at doofmedia.com slash calendar. But we will be going live on our YouTube page. If you just subscribe to YouTube, you'll see it pop up there when we go live as well. Um, so it'll be on our YouTube page and we'll just be open and we're just going to hang out with folks for a few hours, talk about the show, 
talk about the book, talk about your try to answer your questions as best we can and celebrate the end of this thing. So that's what we're doing next week. Yep. 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 Looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. And uh, I think I think we actually I think we have an, a, a pretty big announcement. It's technically over. Ah, I've done it. I've hacked into the digital mainframe. We're now live in the episode of We've Got Ward, Elliot. Oh, this is exciting. Hey, everyone. Exciting. Hi, it's Ruben here and Elliot. I'm Elliot. That's Ruben. Yep. We're from the famous award-winning Deep Impact podcast. I just wanted to what? let you know. We won awards? <laughs> I mean, I made one. Okay, I didn't <laughs> tell you about it, but I've got one sitting behind me. Um, we just want to break in here to let you know that... Uh, now that Ward has finished and Wilbur has started writing his next story, Poof, which is in the Pact universe, we decided we'd come back and revive our award-winning show. Um, <laughs> or kind of. We're going to be doing a show called Doof on Poof, where we talk about Poof and dive into it weekly, uh, talking about the episodes as they come out. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be pretty similar to, to, to We've Got Ward in some ways, although I think Ruben and I bring our own angle to these sorts of things. It's it's yes. just going to be a bit different to Matt and Scott. Um, mm -hmm. We're also planning on trying a few new things to sort of see how they go. And, you know, people who've swallowed our stuff before know that we try things all the time and it often <laughs> just breaks everything. Um, yep. But, yeah, so, you know, should be fun. Um, poof does not require you to have read Pact. Uh, and yes. so neither will Doofon Poof. So you can come in completely Completely fresh. Don't even have to have read Pact, even though it is the best Wild Boy story. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to have read it to enjoy our new show. You, but you should read Pact and listen to Deep Impact. It's apparently yeah. award-winning. Yeah. I've got the award. It says world's hashtag number one podcast. Okay. Ooh, that's, that's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not just an old football trophy that I took a Sharpie to. <laughs> anyway, so that will be our new show. And it'll be starting, the first episode will be coming out this Monday, and then we'll be releasing every week on the Monday. Yes. Uh, and you can see the calendar on doofmedia.com forward slash calendar for more. See you there. Who the fuck let them in? God damn it. Not again. <laughs> we are very excited, though. Uh, Elliot and Ruben are so, so anxious to get back into the world of the packed universe in Doof on Poof. Um, and we're very excited um, to follow along with them on their journey. So if you liked what they did with Deep Impact, I think you guys will, will really get a kick out of this. If you did not listen to Deep Impact because you have not read Pact, you don't have to for this show. So you can follow along with them just like we're doing. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, those guys are great. Their their show is, is uh, for those of you that participated in the, the their 24-hour live stream, I think you all know how wonderful they are. So uh, really hope you guys give them a shot. Um, Matt, you've already read the chapter, right? The new Poof oh. chapter that's out as of right now? Of course. Yeah, I have already. Uh, I'm excited for a new story. It seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so please consider uh, subscribing to Doof on Poof available everywhere yeah right now wherever podcasts are sold all yeah. right let's get on into the second to last chapter of ward all right chapter 20.e6 so our chapter begins on the ominous line it's over for them and they don't even realize it yeah and they're and they're talking to they're talking to us right that's the <laughs> book talking like we don't even know it yet. We don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we kind of do. I mean, it's the epilogue after all. Um, I mean, it never actually said epilogue. It's just E. It's true. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> um, so overall, this proves to be the most like horrifying and conflictual of the epilogue uh, epilogue chapters. 
Crystal is like pronouncing doom on these unfortunate victims of what we find out is bitter pill. Uh, you know, you, you pointed out last week how Wildo has been very precise with the first sentences of each epilogue chapter. And I think we'll find that that trend persists this week. Yeah, totally, totally. I, this, this is a great first line to open it up with. And it's it's this kind of like unavoidable, like pessimistic doom <laughs> at the beginning of an epilogue chapter. Yeah. And and while this chapter ends up as heartwarming and hopeful as any other, at least in my opinion, uh, it certainly does set a tone. The connection we have to make here that I did, it, I think the text is inviting us to make is to Carol and Mark's relationship, right? It's over for them and they don't even realize it yet. It's over for us. It's over for our family. Like this, this chapter is about the Dale and family splitting up mm-hmm. and, and doing their own thing and going their own way. Um, and, and, and chasing their, their different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crystal's purpose is kind of like in the middle of all these, like she's, she's facilitating that in, in yeah. a certain way that she sees that as the thing that she wants to do she wants to spend her time doing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, um, my, my metaphor was controlled demolition of, of condemned structures. Um, that's sort of her <laughs> role in, in this chapter is, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. As we'll see. Mm-hmm. A, a, a lot of this chapter also speaks to me about inevitability, Right. Like sometimes things still end like this line. It's over for them and they don't even realize it yet. Um, Like we can't these people that have been infected by bitter pill like they cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carol and Mark's marriage cannot be saved. Mm-hmm. Um it's just it's the like uh, and it's this idea that like the world has definitely changed after the events of this book. Definitely. But as we've seen with Chris, as we've seen here at the, at the early parts of this chapter, not everyone changed with it. Mm-hmm. And um some of that stuff like you just can't there's no you can't do anything. Yeah. Like sorry. Well, I mean, I think the thing to note here is the world ended once and they continued to keep the shambling zombie form of their marriage going, just like they continued to keep the shambling zombie form of the world and the status quo going. Right, right. And and here uh, uh, Crystal is saying, no, nah, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. Like, like right. th- this is just this is not healthy. This is uh, past its expiration date. Let's 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 move on. Let's move on. Yeah. And, and in many different ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's such a it's such a flip on the traditional role of like the intermediary member of a family where like you look at them and see as the role of this person is to try to desperately keep everyone together. Right. Like I want to keep this family together. I want to keep this family whole, but that's not what the Dallins need that like they, they actually need to go their own separate way. They Mm -hmm. need to do their own thing. Um, and, and that's, that's what she's doing here. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, so yeah, let, uh, let's not make too much of a big deal about the fact that I nailed both POV characters, um, for the final two interludes. <clears throat> Long live King Matt, champion of ward predictions. May he live in splendor and rule with kindness for all of his days. Matt, right. Matt, ma- Matt made me say that. That's, he, he made me. That's adequate. All right. Um, <laughs> so Crystal gives us a bit of a rundown regarding her current hero team erring right uh so first of all um erring means to have made a mistake so there's this immediate connotation of like something like penance or at least mm-hmm. acknowledgement of past faults and uh of course crystal fully anticipates that this team will fall apart <laughs> right yeah i mean erring right is such a fascinating name right like it's it's too like erring means a mistake right 
like to either write something or something that is right. So like, I think you're right that this is like saying we're trying to put things back together. Of course, like it, it could be the, the, the idiom of like airing on the side of right type thing, but actually that like knowing what airing means, I feel like that idiom isn't using the right side of airing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely like, what's funny is, <laughs> is it, it, it immediately strikes me as the kind of thing where Victoria would be like, eh. <laughs> Let's like like the 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 messaging there is muddy and unclear and like sure. even if it even if you even if we were able to be like no actually it's technically correct it's technically correct in the same in the same way as like Azure where it's like ah oh, yes you see we're dipping into the, the no it has to be clear and obvious what you're going for <laughs> right. anyway yeah um I, I yeah it, it's fun yeah I mean to me it's perfect that right off the bat Crystal's like yeah this team's doomed like, we're gonna break up and splinter um, and and I love the the sentence that she says about this that this team that Aunt Carol and Uncle Mark had joined to keep brushed up on their skills was never supposed to be something bigger and I love the sentence because the implication of what Crystal is saying here is that the team is gonna splinter because it's not it was never made to be the thing that Carol's going to try to make it like they, mm-hmm. they didn't join this team for it to be something important. They mm-hmm. like, that's not, that wasn't, that wasn't the purpose of them joining the team. That wasn't the purpose of the team in general, or maybe it was, but it was just not built for that. Um, and like, I just like the, the way the sentence is structured, the team that aunt Carol and uncle Mark joined to keep brushed up on their skills was never supposed to be the thing that Carol's going to kind of like beat into it. Um, and it's just not going to work. Yeah, um, which is a metaphor for a lot of things in Carol's life. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I actually find being inside Crystal's head to be quite a bit more grim and like practical and fatalistic than I might have expected. Mm. You know, we've got stuff like privately. She wouldn't have minded the shoot him now approach, but it wouldn't help anything if she said so out loud. Mm. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, like we know that Crystal's had this really tough life, like we we know how much loss she's had to deal with but on the other hand like she always puts on this i wrote i wrote sunny disposition here in the notes it's more like she's just kind of a rock like she's always stable and there for victoria like some sort of crystal like some sort of rock yes but her name's crystal that's that was see i was doing a thing i gotcha no i was I, i know um yes i totally interrupted your train of thought i'm sorry I was just trying to volley and, but there was nothing. There's just nothing. So, um, but like, I, I, I mean, I, I do, I'm not, it's not that I'm like shocked to see that her inner life is, is more grim than I expected. It, it's just like, yeah, I mean this it, in a certain sense, it's actually expected. It's just like, Oh, okay. Well, wow. This is what it's like on the inside. Uh, I, it's valuable to see that her inner life is more reflective of her hard past than of the like sort of positive attitude that she normally puts forward. I think. Yeah, I mean, to me, it fits perfectly into the this frame of her as kind of the middleman of this family where she has to be this person because like everyone like she's trying like everyone's not explicitly going through her, but kind of like she was always like through the early part of the story. She was like the intermediary between her and her mother because she just didn't want to deal with any of that. And like like I, I think she just kind of feels in the middle of all this stuff. And so she has to project a side of herself that, um, that is confident and cool and controlled because she's feels like she has this expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean like, yeah, I mean, I go back to the moment where she saw the broken trigger event at the very beginning of the story. And that just like fucked her up for a long time. Um, yeah. 
And I, I, so I think that like this, that was when Crystal just was so beaten down that this facade she put up, uh, she just didn't have the energy to keep it up. And so I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all to see the seed, her internal narrative like is, is different from the way um, we saw her through Victoria's eyes. Right. A little she, bit. A little she, bit. Yeah. And she also spent a lot of time with the PRTCJ who were like explicitly this like almost paramilitary, like kind of hard ass mm-hmm. uh, uh, version of, of what it is to be a cape. So yeah. it, it's not like I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's just like it's, it's interesting. It's not exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you and, said something about her being like the barrier between her family members, like some kind of force field. Uh huh. Yeah. Between, something like that. Yeah. OK. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think the the just shoot him mentality fits the fits with like her military, like like that cold, rigid, calculating. Like she's already said that the first lines in the chapter are it's over for them. Like so, she already believes like the best thing we could do for these people is just put them out of their misery right now. Yeah. Um, but but I love this. It wouldn't help anything if she said it out loud. So like that's just she recognizes that none of these things she's thinking or a lot of these things she's thinking don't serve a purpose to actually air them. Um, Mm -hmm. But some do because we'll see her. She's great. She's great. We'll see her say what she's thinking in, in key moments throughout this chapter in wonderful ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the victims proceed to become bigger and bigger problems, becoming physically larger and making the environment around them hazardous as a single level headed parahuman named Dallin attempts to bring the human authorities onto the same page as the capes. I, I see what you did there, Matt. And I, I like it. I like it. I just want you to know. Okay. Good job. You acknowledge, you acknowledge it. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't have anything to say about it other than <laughs> good job. Yeah, I just thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sarah here fairly consistently being called Crystal's mom or mom in the text mm-hmm swoops in to help back up Crystal's force fields as the monstrous victims start to advance. Yeah, I mean, there's this wonderful moment in here where Crystal sees Sarah's the edges of her force field and sees like a darkness at the edge of it and thinks that darkness hadn't been there before before her mother died. Mm-hmm. And that also will match later to this motif of of this darkness alien, this dark alien look in her eyes that don't match. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it becomes very clear that Crystal is still processing the fact that it's my mom, but it's also not my mom. And I don't know how to deal with that at all. And so her her solution so far has just been to not to not do mm-hmm. that um and we'll get there by the end of the chapter which yeah. is cool because yeah. the book's ending <laughs> yeah true mm-hmm. so carol finally secures permission from the reluctant human leadership permitting the heroes to finally move in which of course emphasizes how important consensus has become here yeah yeah the dallin slash pelham family absolutely wrecks this crowd of monsters using just a really cool and satisfying combos and leveraging all their powers in concert using defensive force fields and offensive grenades and lightsabers and lasers in this perfectly orchestrated uh concert of death yeah it's it's really the first and only action sequence in the epilogue right um and it makes sense that the only bit of action we get is with this dallin family combo that they're that's dallin pelham combo that they're so effective and brutal together and there's there's something um like this is just sad. Like this violence yeah. is not like it's it's like I love how Wild Bill manages the tone here because it's impressive, it's effective, it's efficient. Um, and in any other context, it would be super cool, but it's not here. It's just 
sad. It's just like the whole thing's sad. It's sad because they're killing these innocent people who have just been fucked over but are already dead. It's sad because Crystal is looking at them and looking at this teamwork and knowing that this is like the last time this is Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's just it's just all of it is a tragedy. Um, And like, I I love that. I love that. Like there's been so many wonderful, badass Kate moments in this story. And here's technically our last one. And I I don't leave this going. Yeah, man. With the, the force field and the grenade. Oh, that was awesome. No, it's just like this sucks. Yeah, it's sort of um, more the tone of like putting down a rabid dog in the street, right? Right. Um, than than like a fight where there where there's stakes, you know? Yeah. Like, like Crystal's head is not even really. I mean, her head is in the game to the extent that she's like a good cape and she wants to make sure no one is injured, but um, she's obviously thinking probably more than half of her mind is thinking about the family dynamic and right. and uh, and what she's going to have to do after this. Yeah, I I love this part in particular where it says Carol cut into him each surgical strike. There was a drive behind every action, the intensity to which Aunt Carol moved. It made Crystal almost sad to see. I I, I love this part, the drive and intensity. This is all Carol has, right? Carol does not have friends. Like she doesn't really have family anymore. Like she does, but we're, we're seeing that this is splintering. Like she's about to lose this family. All she has is the battlefield. All she has is this fight and she and Crystal sees this and it it's makes her sad. And and I actually love like Wildbo does this really cool thing here, Matt. And I don't even know if this is intentional, but I really love it. There's right after it made Crystal almost sad to see, the next line on the page is, I have to. This is actually coming from a cape named Bandit, one of her teammates, who is about to have to like use her power and execute a person. And she like she feels bad about it because she has to execute a person. And she's saying, I have to. But Wild Blue doesn't reveal that immediately. It doesn't say, I have to, Bandit said. And so the result when I'm reading it is, it made Crystal almost sad to see the intensity and drive behind Aunt Carol's moves. And the next line is, I have to. And so my first read was like, oh my God, that's Carol. Like that's that's basically the the book like turning dialogue into exactly what what Carol feels like she like this is this is Carol right here. I have to. I have to do this. I have yeah. to be on this battlefield. I have to be doing this fight. This is all I have. I have to do this. Um and yeah. I, I I I don't know if that was an intentional touch, but the way it reads on the page I think is so effective. I like that. Yeah, I think that works really well. I mean that, that's the characteristic thing about her as a character is is that like she seems like she needs to be in control all the time, but really she's the one who's being pushed and compelled to do the things that she does like Mm -hmm. she kind of can't help herself right that's that's why she is so consistently ridiculous and lying crossy yeah um yeah 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 Uh, i i love that connection though i I didn't i didn't put it together like that but but definitely you're right that the the line i have to you're you're, you kind of you kind of miss a step and you're like who said that and and, because it could even be crystal who said it and she could be thinking i have to you know, end this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. You're totally right. I hadn't thought about it at that angle, but it could be. Yeah. I mean, I I just like, and and again, like that's, that's the cool ways in which structure can, can bring meaning, right? Like this, it could have easily been one whole paragraph. I have to, um, it's, it's great. Yeah. I think, I think like, it's just, it's just the cool ways in which 
page bre- or paragraph breaks can can just pull more meaning out of your text. Yeah. I love it. I think it is interesting because you and I had slightly different reactions, but I think we both reacted by um, sort of it, it causing us to have a question in our mind. And I yeah. think that was the yeah. intent. Yeah, totally. So Crystal thinks about how glory and heroism aren't synonymous, how she learned this in the uh, PRTCJ. It's interesting because, like, you know, she's a support class. And I think that Crystal is similarly like a support class in the story in general. She's mm-hmm. the relatively mm-hmm. unsung hero who gave Vicky a place to crash and a stable presence to rely on. There's very little glory in this role. Yeah. Um, but there is much heroism. And yeah. I think that, that's kind of her role overall. I, I I totally agree. And I, and I think the the end of this chapter, like the, the ways in which she does truly heroic, kind things for the people in her life she cares about by the end of this chapter, prove that out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then she segues into thinking about Carol. Uh, basically, she gives a pretty thorough rundown of Carol's overbearing, but undoubtedly effective leadership style uh, <laughs> and, you know, her overall pushiness. Yeah, it's great because I, I think the like the entire book and then this chapter has very like pointedly shown that Carol is actually like pretty good at this. Like like she's like she's on the phone here trying to get permission to to do the strike and, and she's being very lawyery in that like in just very, the way she's constructing her arguments, I think are very good. She's very good on the battlefield. And I think like the reason why if you can put any any one thing in charge of the why new wave worked and why this family on the battlefield works so well together. It's because of Carol. It's like Carol, like bended them around her and, and molded them into this team in that way. But, but that just goes back to how sad it is because none of them want to be there anymore. Yeah. Like crystal says, she's probably going to bounce. This doesn't feel like where she should be. Like she, she observes that Mark here finds comfort in the teamwork, but there's no joy in it. Um, then we go to Sarah who once again has darkness on the edges, this time of her eyes showing that she both is and isn't the person. Like, it's just like this family is like not, it doesn't exist anymore. New wave doesn't exist. Them as a unit does not exist anymore. And she just doesn't recognize it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the sad thing. That's, that's the saddest thing about it. I mean, think what you will of Carol, but like it is, it is a bit sad for us to realize like everybody's, everybody's about to abandon her Mm -hmm. and she's going to keep doing her thing and she's going to keep transforming other teams around her into effective fighting units, but it's going to be hollow, I I think, because she's going to know that like she alienated her family and pushed them away and, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right, is that I think you're absolutely right that she could take any group of heroes and whip them into shape um, to make them an effective battlefield team. But they're never going to be a family like like break. They're never going to be a breakthrough. Like that's mm-hmm. a team that like worked well together and eventually had some cool synergies, but also like had each other's backs in more ways than just in punching bad guys. Right. And that's just never the thing that she's going to be able to do. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for her in a certain sense, but I think one of the things that I like about it is that she's, it's still her choices, right? Like, I'm not saying that like her, like if if she had, it's her choice to, for the marriage to end. I don't think that, I don't think it is. I think the marriage has run its course, but like she's by throwing herself full force into this thing, she's just making the same mistakes in in a way which her daughter for example is doing almost the exact opposite mm-hmm. yeah I, I think you're exactly right i mean i, I think it, it is interesting to compare and contrast the way 
Victoria kind of went about breakthrough as as a as a mission um, mm-hmm. because there are similarities. There, there are there are places you can, you can compare their you know their approach, but I think that it, the the differences are more instructive. Like you said, um, partially due to Victoria, breakthrough was more about the people than about the powers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she started, I think she started on that group that we joked along long and long about the fact that she's like, I'm just, a, I'm just a coach. I'm yeah. just, a, I'm not even on, I'm just a coach. And I think a lot of that was kind of Carol based. Um, I'm going to whip this team into shape type of thing, like focus on that battlefield. I mean, like if we go back to it, like one of the central questions that I think this book asked is like, what's the difference between the cape side and the human side can there be a difference and i actually think the cool way in which this book has ended shows that obviously there is a separation but it's not at the place you thought like Mm -hmm. victoria has separated victoria from antares but like not her powers from her life you know what i mean like like she's just made a new dichotomy there um and carol has not yeah well it's it's i think in the end, the answer is that it's less of a separation and more of a healthy form of integration. Right, right. But, but yeah, I mean, Victoria has still like tossed away the trappings of, of superhero dumb in the traditional sense, but she is still intimately connected with her power. Um, in, in like, I think that's like, if you look at the, the Jessica Yamada, Victoria Dallin, like disagreement on capes and, uh, the like cape name versus human name. I actually think Victoria managed to like, strike a balance that showed they were both right Mm -hmm. in different ways. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, they're, they're both, they both have their, their valid perspectives. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So later on, uh, airing rights assembles to confront Margaret Madewell, uh, which is just a great, great name, um, (laughs) leader of the settlement and, Kind of still anti-parahuman, which mm-hmm. is showing us, hey, these people are still around, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, this didn't end all that, right? Um, but the woman gets the Cape team to depart despite Carol trying to make a play to hang around and eat lunch with the civilians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I it's so, like, th- these horrible oatmeal monsters that Bitter Pill turned, like, it's so upsetting. Like, this is... This is that fucking awful, awful villain that Victoria was forced to cut a deal with way back earlier in the book. And yeah. she's learned nothing. She still sucks. Hooray. But I, I agree with you that like both we get to see here on both sides of this conflict. And I don't even really like framing it that way because I don't like want to make it one side versus the other type thing anymore. But there are shitty capes still and there are shitty humans still and society is going to have to learn how to deal with both of these things like there's still going to be shitty capes there's still going to be humans that are shitty to capes and it's just going to have to be like a push and pull um communication arrangement between both sides that's going to range from easy and hey this is working great where everyone's communicating to oh this is a pain in the ass this sucks um and it's just like this is going it, this is still going to be an issue going forward like that's just part of life um and i, I just love that things don't become easy now like yeah. that's that's great it's great it, in a certain sense things almost become harder because sure sure i think i think before it would have just been like bam team swoops in fucks these guys up chases down bitter pill uh, there's there's another fight elsewhere in the city. You know, seven city blocks are turned into uh, sludge and destroyed. And, you know, maybe they get bitter pill, maybe not. Right. 
Um, mm-hmm. But this way, it's like, okay, incremental, asking for permission, asking for buy-in. We've got mm-hmm. cameras. We, we want to make sure everybody is okay with the way things are going. And if you're not okay, yeah, we leave. We totally leave and we'll even let Bitter Pill go. And, it, and you know, that's not going to be on us, right? And, and, and in a certain sense, that sucks because Bitter, Bitter Pill might do this again somewhere else and it could be yeah. even worse next time. So it's not like it's unambiguously better. But I think when you zoom out from it, when you look at, when you look at it holistically, it, it is better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that's what they've found. That's what kind of this book has proven that the old ways, the old methodology, the old strategies did not work in the long term. Um, and, and we were trading long-term stability for short-term success. Um, and so they've decided to reach a new paradigm and I mean, we'll see, well, actually we won't see, they'll see, um, but, uh, I, I do, I do really, I really, I really appreciate that the book is being upfront about this. It's not sugarcoating it. Like this is the epilogue. Like it, it's not all warm and fuzzies. It's, it's being honest. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that we saw, you know, we get to see, Hey, you know, there's still, there's still villains. There's still, like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, fi- it's not all better now. It's not magically all better now. It's, yep. it's, but, but we see the seeds, we see the roots that are being placed that are going to make yeah. it better. Yeah, we see the ways in which things have changed intermingled with the ways in which things are still the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, Crystal heads over and, and buys um, an extremely expensive bag of chips and a drink. And then she heads over to hover near Mark. Yeah. And before we get into this Mark conversation, that's just wonderful. I want to highlight this small little moment here where Crystal's looking out over this gas station and sees the weeds that were spread around the settlement were there by design to get nitrogen into the earth and lay the groundwork for future plant growth. When the wind came in certain directions, the petals and dust flew off, stirring into the air. I I love this as just this little tiny moment to just say, hey, look, they're thinking long term here. This is not rebuild everything as quickly as possible with prefab buildings just to get everything going. This is like lay the seeds, lay the groundwork. You just talked about the roots. Um, that's kind of almost literally what they're doing here. Um, yeah. Like taking the time to make sure we build this thing so that it can last for a long time and be OK that for a while there, well, there's just going to be some gross looking weeds. But in the future that will help build a better it would help improve the soil and and build a better community a better life yeah i, I really love that <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the the metaphor to yeah. to weeds to mm-hmm. to, to, to the, the literal groundwork actually yeah that's great yeah <laughs> uh, so um they talk about how vicky's doing and how the revelation about tristan has hit her hard um, but you know, this is kind of a passing just like, okay, yeah, she's a protagonist. We got to talk about her for a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, then of course, uh, uh, Crystal moves on to giving, uh, Mark a pep talk about how he should divorce his wife. Just kind of a, you know, just planting seeds, uncle Mark. Yeah. Just <clears throat> divorce, divorce Carol. Divorce. Just thought. Divorce your wife. <laughs> First, First, I'm not just going to skip over Victoria, Matt. <laughs> Not I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm I'm very happy to see that what we talked about last week regarding the Tristan Kenzie dilemma um, ended up basically coming true. You know, we said 
plot tried to get into the epilogue and Wayne Darnell like beat it away with a stick. He beat that plot away. And that ends up being true here, right? Like we don't actually get to see our characters work through the resolution of this problem. And our protagonist doesn't work, doesn't do anything. She does exactly what her therapist says to do, which is don't, don't do anything. She goes over to Japan to help with operation, bring back Eric's girlfriend. Um, so I, I, I'm very happy to see that this worked out this way. I, I appreciate it that we didn't spend our last couple chapters in this book like, OK, let's solve the next problem. It seems like it, when I, we were talking about it last week, I wasn't co- I wasn't like 100 percent confident, but it just seemed contrary to everything we've been doing in the epilogue so far. So that's cool to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, OK, let's talk about Mark. Divorce. Yeah. Divorce is good sometimes. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's never been a sad divorce, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I, the writing here, I think really, really elevates the conversation though, because there's, there's so much going on here because they're talking about like the way Mark kind of broaches the subject is like, he's saying like, oh, she's great. Like she's doing such a good job. And then he's like, is this going to be a good thing? Uh (laughs) And he says, there's more to a team than that. There is, Crystal said. Some will stay. Others will learn what they need to learn from her before going. And then Crystal is even aware enough to say that that wasn't really what he's saying. There's more to a team. There's more to a relationship. There's more to a marriage than um, than training, presentation, the, the legal side of things and effectiveness uh, in throwing punches at, at bad people. There's mm-hmm. more than being effective on the battlefield. Like, she treats her relationship, every one of her relationships in the same way that she treats teammates on the battlefield. I mean, like we, we, like the, the idea that her team is her family, like the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, the family that fights crime together stays. Give me something that rhymes with crime. <laughs> um, I don't I don't I don't got anything. Eats key lime pie. <laughs> Eats key lime together. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> But I mean, we kind of see that it's just because the reason why that happened is almost because she every relationship that Carol has is based on what they could do for her on the battlefield or or in in caping in general. Um, And that's been her relationship with Mark that it always has. Um, And like it's never like Carol, I think, has never been. It's it's never been being a wife, being a mother, being a sister, being being an aunt. Like it's never been that to her. It's always been being a teammate on the fi- on the like and we're awesome together. And look, like I, I feel like to Carol, the fact that they're so good on the battlefield is like proof positive that their relationship is good, right? Like she's probably like, Mark, we're we're fucking kicking ass. Look at this. We're awesome. And he's like, Yeah, but um, what about when we go home? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I think I think that's exactly right. I mean, we ne- we don't even need to see we never get to see and we never need to see like what Carol and Mark do when they hang out together at their house. I, I, don't, I don't even want to use the word hang out together because I, I doubt that they hang out together at all. I'm, I'm sure it's all it's all briefings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and catching a few hours of sleep between shifts or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm having a real hard time visualizing this in any way because right. it just seems like it would be so awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and uh, of course, I'm reminded of like, uh, you know, Carol is proud of Victoria. She has she has what you could characterize as like a a motherly affection for Victoria, but it's all like she's such a good cape. Yeah, yeah. Look at her presentation. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of her. She is proud of her. Like it's not like she's. It's not like it's fake. It's just all of the pride is centered around 
how good she is at pretending nothing bad has ever happened yeah, to her. Yeah. Just so. one, just one facet of the, the, the complex multi-level person that Victoria Dallin is. It's yeah. all her mom cares about is that just one of those facets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, like, like we talked about earlier, Victoria's story ends with her retiring from Cape life. She's back on the patrol block and working at Cape human relations, which we'll see, uh, in the next chapter, Carol's story has her diving eagerly right back into it, just mm-hmm. going right back into it. She suffered a horrible injury. Um, like I'm sure it didn't make her dealing with her trauma better to suffer that kind of injury, but she's really just going full force back into it. Um, where everyone around, everyone else around her has changed. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like it is heartbreaking. I, I feel bad for her. I'm, I'm happy for Mark. At least I hope he finds something that truly gives him purpose in his life that makes him happy. Maybe he'll like buy a boat. (laughs) Okay. Yes. You know, I'm glad you pointed out that Carol is like recovered from her injury because like, that's great, right? Like, yeah, good. I'm glad she's recovered enough that she can be a cape again, but like, Mm -hmm. that's not actually good for her, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Because I, um, I like sort of glossed over the idea that like, yeah, she she hasn't really been she was couldn't really like walk properly the last time we saw her. So, yeah, yeah, she was doing real bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I there's this line and I, I kind of want to talk through this with you because I'm not sure how I feel about it. So we kind of leave Carol behind with this bit that uh, the aides of Margaret Madwell have reached out to her and have basically said, hey we're unhappy with this lady and we might want her gone. And maybe we'll kind of work surreptitiously with you to help get this lady out of here. And then that'll make your life easier and our lives easier. And like, I couldn't help but read that as like, Oh no, that's like, that's maybe falling back into old habits where like the capes are conspiring with assistance of leadership to remove leadership. Um, It just seems like that could go down a bad path. Um, and that it, 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 it was a very kind of sour note to leave Carol with where I'm like, oh man, Carol, you're just going to keep making the same mistakes, aren't you? Definitely bad optics. Like you, you sort of think she would know better, um, yeah. but, but I think not actually. So, um, I, yeah, I agree that it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's bad. It's, it's not good. And, and yeah, that is basically how we leave her, right? That's basically mm-hmm. the last, the last direct piece of Carol we have in the, in the saga. Yeah. So, yeah. That does suck. <laughs> so next, of course, after planting the seed, the the weed seed with <laughs> with uh, with Mark, uh, she flies over to her mom. At first, the interaction is stilted. Uh, Crystal is very conscious of what doesn't fit or doesn't feel right. Um, and, you know, her mom, though, kind of wants to have a heart to heart with her as well. She asks Crystal, you know, hey, what, what is your role in all this in this new world? And Crystal's not really sure. Um she said she thinks that it's best to focus on her friends and loved ones, which, I mean, I think is something that she's tried to do throughout the story. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right that it was definitely her role throughout the story. But I think it wasn't, like, ever her priority. Like, Crystal is missing for so much of this book. And it's mm-hmm. because she's off on these mysterious, you know, off-universe missions doing God knows what. Um, I think Crystal does kind of represent a similar thing to what Chevalier was talking about in the first uh, chapter of this epilogue, you know, th- this idea that we're just going to go out there and fight the most powerful threats to keep the people back home safe, where maybe the most effective use of your time is being their support structure in certain ways. Like, 
I think there's a lot to the the amazing things she does in a very short amount of time with her family in this chapter versus this mysterious off world missioning she was doing through through most of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think, I mean, she she's not been you know actualized and perfect for the entire story. She she's mm-hmm. also finding her her new equilibrium with this new world here. Yeah, yeah. You could even say that. Um, her going off with the PRTCJ to try to try to fight the monsters was her way of sort of coping. Um, and she's realized that that, that wasn't really working for her possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, uh, Sarah then asks if it's okay to come with crystal as she does her thing. And, uh, and crystal's like, Oh, of course, of course it is. She's like literally, literally shocked that she even has to ask. Um, and then, um, you know, she, she opens the bag, crystal opens the bag of chips with her laser to give it to her mom. And her mom says, Crystal Eve Pelham, her mother said in a voice that was perfect down to the note. Mm-hmm. Open those chips like a human being, thank you. Your your hands will atrophy in a claws if you keep doing that sort of thing. And then Wildlow makes us cry. Yeah. I I God, I love this. I mean, all throughout this chapter and, and in previous chapters as well. Crystal has just had this uncomfortable relationship with her mom, like where she see she looks into her eyes and doesn't see her mom. But then she says things that come out of her mouth that kind of sound like her mom to where she's almost in kind of a uncanny valley situation. Right. Where there's this kind of cognitive dissonance where I, like sometimes I look at you and I see that's my mother right there. And sometimes I look at you and I see nothing recognizable in you and she doesn't know how to react to it. And then there's this glorious moment that is both incredibly motherly and incredibly human. And it is doing like the one thing that crystal has in my mind, at least been most known for in the book as just the person that used her powers to do the most mundane things. Like I still remember like, Victoria pointing out that Crystal doesn't really have knives because why would she, she didn't need to pull a knife out. Why would she ever need to do that? And for, for whatever reason, that's one of the things that's stuck into my head about Crystal um, throughout this entire story. And so like, this is the thing here at the end of the story that her mother tells her, Hey, not knock it off, kid behave like a human being. Um, and in that moment, a barrier came down that she hadn't a barrier that she hadn't known was up came down and those feelings in her upper chest that she couldn't put words or action settled into a new configuration that she could. And this is basically Crystal's moment of acceptance, right? Like this is my mom. She doesn't always seem like my mom. She's also a, a shard, a piece of shard data that's been resuscitated to life, but She's my mom and not perfect, imperfectly my mom, but I I get to have my mom back and she accepts it and she embraces it quite literally by hugging her. Um, And it's God, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a genius moment, I think, because I mean, Mm -hmm. what makes you feel more like a kid than than, than the way your mom scolds you using those characteristic, you know, tones that are burned into your synapses because you 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 were listening to it when your brain was forming right mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and yeah i mean i mean it it just it struck me as soon as, as soon as it happened i was like oh that's that's just brilliant it's just brilliant yeah i so love i love that yeah. i love that writing too like those feelings in her upper chest that she couldn't put to words or action settled into a new configuration she could right it's just like this this acknowledgement that she had all the stuff in her that she just wasn't able to express yet. Like she just, she, she had these feelings towards her mother and she just didn't know what to do with them yet. And 
finally in this moment of of scolding of nagging of motherly nagging it's like oh okay and i get i understand now yeah well, I, I think that's just yet more like really really good writing like like psychology right i've mm-hmm, said, said mm-hmm. a million times good writing is good psychology and like the, the idea of like having feelings in your body where you don't not only can you not put them to words sometimes you don't even know that they're there but they sure, are sure. and and the moment where they 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 shift they move they they react to something and then something pushes them over the edge into a new configuration and then hey now you can work with it suddenly yeah and the, yeah. The, the, you know that's a breakthrough that's what a breakthrough is yeah yeah i <laughs> um i think this is something we might have never talked about before which is crazy to think about on a podcast that's like 500 hours long um but i i really i like the way in which wild bow like visualizes feeling uh-huh. you know like he he gives it almost like i'm trying to think of the right word like he gives it shape like mm-hmm. he it's it it, it it takes form kind of like and, and the other thing i'm thinking of is when victoria describes her breakthrough as the pieces of the the various pieces of her trauma like stop stopping to invade all the other parts of her and just go in their proper place. Like there's, there's like a, there's like a, a weight and a physicality to the emotion, which I think helps me as I'm reading, like see it and understand it in a very uh, tangible way. And I think that's what's happening here with crystal as well. Like the way he describes this and the reason I like the writing so much is because I can see it and I can kind of feel it a little bit. We're just talking about feelings. We're talking about emotions, but he like, he like creates it, almost like tangibly physically yeah right absolutely yeah i mean i I think you know in in meditation parlance it's the mind sense it's this this constant um space of of like literal space and orientation of things and and weight and you know even maybe a you know a sense of of temperature or or what have you like a feeling when when we say oh i have a feeling about this it's like you literally do have a feeling like mm-hmm. like a like a physical feeling it's it, it's uh we don't we don't talk about it it's not a big part of our language but it is it is a phenomenon that i think is universal yeah no. so cool. and i think it's you know very fitting that that Walbo matt has you know displayed his his understanding and mastery of it in in this text so anyway at some point later um they end up at a relaxed little settlement on the fringes or rather crystal does. She, she ends up at a relaxed little settlement on the fringes of Gimmel crystal. Um, she's invited to join the girls at bat, but she declines instead Mm -hmm. getting directions to where she can find Amy. Um, I kind of enjoy that when she finds Amy, she then continues to hover ominously over her for like most of the scene. Yeah. I mean, like we talk about like visual language a lot on our other podcast, the Doofcast and how, how camera angles, convey meaning um and that stuff is communicated differently in a written medium but it doesn't mean it doesn't convey information still and crystal in this entire scene kind of just being there kind of above amy to a certain extent uh i think i think you're right like builds to me um a a tone that follows us through this scene like she's here she's not going to put up with her shit yeah um and it also i think when like i think the most important part of the section is when she walks over to her or maybe floats over to her i'm not exactly sure and puts her hand on her shoulder is like the big the big big moment at the end of this chapter and so i think like visualizing the scene creates a change you go from kind of floating above to 
moving next to. She's literally getting on her level for this moment of this symbolic moment of trust. Right. It starts out as like, I'm not here to be your friend. And then it ends as still, still not your friend, but it's a human moment. Right. Right. Which is surprising considering just how so fucking Amy, Amy is here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Amy seems just like so lonely and embittered and like, I I love how shitty she is. There's, There's like all these things she says where she's like, where are my manners? And and when when Crystal tells her, um, you know, hey, your parents are going to get divorced. She's like, good. You know, and she, she'll throw in these little these little jewels like we're a broken family. And it's just it's just like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's so the writing here, I think, is so kind of precise in the careful and deliberate ways, but never like upfront and obvious ways in which Wild Boat does not let Amy off the hook for anything like she's still like he's still writing her as essentially Amy. Like this is, this is, this is kind of the same narcissistic person who kind of immediately turns everything about her. Um, she's made progress and I don't want to take that away from her, but like, there's still so much Amy here. Like to everything you just said, this one moment where she says, you don't see me as family. Do you, uh, there's still a lot of, I'm the victim here, Amy present in this dialogue. Um, uh, there's a lot of pity party stuff going on too. Like I get that you had a rough life, Amy. No one's trying to deny you that, but stop making everything about yourself. Like this moment where Crystal's talking about Carol and Mark, she says there are deny there are dynamics. There's things left unsaid. It's heavy. I feel like I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And Amy's like my life from age six to 17, pretty much. And it's like, okay, okay. Like, <sighs> Yeah, wow, wow. Like, yeah. I, like, and I don't want to diminish the shit that she's gone through, but it's just like everything turns back to her and her shit over and over again. Like, there's right. this beautiful moment in the conversation where Amy says, I'm talking about myself a lot. I talk about myself a lot to my therapist all week. Let's talk about you. What's up? And then Crystal starts talking. And then Amy's immediately like, so I'm not going to the party then. And she just goes right back to herself again. Uh-huh. And you're just like, ugh, Amy. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing is like, it's. <laughs> It's just that she's a terrible conversationalist. Yeah, true. <laughs> like true. The, that's what's that's the primary level on which this is this is offensive, and of course, all the other levels on which it's offensive. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, but, but like, yes, it's offensive. It's also pathetic and sad, though, because like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like on the one hand, you're like shocked at the gall of her asking if she's invited to the Brockton Bay reunion, but on the other, you're like, yeah. I mean, if 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 like a hundred percent of my old friends were having a big reunion and I wasn't invited, I'd, I'd be pretty bummed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I think you're right. It's sad to me, like Chris sitting alone in a jail cell, refusing to even accept the, the olive branches that Kenzie keeps offering is sad. I'm sad that Amy never made the choices she did that led her here. Right. Like I, that's why I'm like, it's sad in the way that like, yeah, it's sad. I feel bad for you, but you, you did this. Like you did this. Yeah. You have no one to blame for this, but yourself here. Like the fact that I'd rather, I'd feel more comfortable seeing fucking Riley at this party than you, um, says a lot about you. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there'd be more chance of healing and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, so it turns out Amy has been doing a lot of therapy and she's basically been behaving herself, just kind of keeping to herself, doing a little bit of animal healing. And Crystal's like, she kind of stays past the expiration of her welcome uh, in order to tell Amy like, Hey, you should just leave (laughs) plant some more seeds here. Just go across the ocean, go so far away that you can become, just become somebody else. Just leave this behind. Don't 
for, forget about Victoria. Just break the cycle. I think like that's a big thing she's doing here. She's breaking cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I want to make sure we give you know Amy the, the credit she deserves here. Like she's got a long way to go. A long, a long, long look. If, if her path to being a better person lies over in Europe, I tell her to fucking walk there. That's how long of a way to go she has. But I do think it matters that she's on that path. Like I do think. The, the very, very, very least and most charitable thing we can say about her is that she seems at least aware that what she did was wrong and she is willing to work towards learning from those past mistakes. That is the first step on this thousand mile journey. But it is a step, right? True. Fair. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, although there's still these moments which like you make sure you tell Victoria that I left and I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> right. Um, she does. I, I love how Crystal handles that, though. She says, I'll break the non-disclosure rule for her in that event so I can tell her once it's done. Not I I am until you're gone. I will tell her nothing yeah. until right. you're gone. I think she's fully aware that that Amy would totally use this as a little a little wedge to 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 get contact oh of course and you can kind of almost see the cogs turning in amy's head like oh yeah if i tell like if i say if i go to europe and i'll say like maybe victoria will be like oh wow she really is right she really is on the path wow yeah yeah. Yeah, and you can kind (laughs) of yeah uh you can see that working in amy's head um but i do like we talked about earlier like to symbolize the fact that Amy has made that step agreeing to do this, which I think is the best thing for Victoria and, and hopefully probably the best thing for her in the long run to symbolize that step. Crystal ends the chapter by touching her, putting her hand on her shoulder. It's this, it's this actually enormous gesture of support and trust, right? Like more so than with any other person, like skin to skin with Amy is an enormous extension of trust. Like, uh-huh. like it, it's huge. And it's acknowledgement that, hey, hey, good job. Yeah. Well, little baby. St- good job. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It's good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so the, this this has been Crystal's role, right? Like, like I said earlier, she's doing controlled demolition. She's she's pushing over these structures that need to be pushed over. Um, and it's a painful task. It's a thankless task. It's a heavy task. But mm-hmm. in the end, I think, you know, she's in a lot of good here. You know, yeah. just just uh, wiping out uh, Carol and, and Mark's relationship and getting rid of Amy like that's uh, that's that's actually very positive. And I think it's it's I think it's a really interesting thing to, to I mean, we're not we're not ending the book here, but it's an interesting thing to have at the conclusion of this book is this idea of like sometimes blowing up bad relationships is great. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. It's a hugely positive thing. And, and yeah, like it like it hurts like it's like it definitely sucks, but like it puts you in a position where so many much better things can happen now. Yeah. I think, I think in fiction we sometimes go for the, and they worked it out and everything was okay. Ending too much Yeah, because I think on some level we want to believe that that is always the possibility. Like that, that's what we want to believe. We want to believe the fighting couple are going to work it out. We want to believe the, the father son relationship will repair itself. We want to believe the sibling relationship will get better. We want to believe these things. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes the best thing for all people involved is to just be done with it and just go your separate ways. And, and it, it sucks still. Yeah. Like you're right. It's heavy. It's, it's a bummer, but 
sometimes that's what we got to do. Um, and I, and I, I do appreciate that the book, you know, explores that concept here. Yeah. I mean, me too. I, I, I think maybe walking into this book, I don't know if I would have fully accepted that as, um, a good thing. I would have been like, oh yeah, but you know, I think they probably could have made it work. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's that part of you that, that romantic part of you that I think, I think our society does pound this into us with the yeah, kind, yeah. the kinds of media we consume, the kinds of narratives that we adhere to. But like, yeah, just like, yeah, break up. I mean, honestly, I wish, I wish as like a younger person, I had been told like, Hey, you know what? Sometimes not only is it okay for relationships to end, sometimes it's great. (laughs) Sometimes it's the best thing that could possibly happen. Right. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I like that here. I like, yeah, I I agree that we are very, we are very bad at accepting that. Um, but so I think it, it fits very perfectly into this book for sure. Yeah. Um, I do. There's another thing I want to kind of broach here with you tangentially related to this because we're not we haven't spent enough time on this. So I'm going to spend more. Um, I think a lot of the parahuman saga as a whole has touched generally on this idea of how do we measure a life? Like, I think Worm dealt with that in this like cold yet rational utilitarian logic behind like calculating of losses. Ward, I think, deals with it a bit more subtly with concepts of heroic sacrifice, what death actually means, and the people that it leaves behind. And I I take that general idea and I look at Crystal as the person throughout this book was the person doing the big hero thing. Like she was out in the field somewhere to the point where we see her very rarely in this book doing like, yes, being a support class still, but being a part of the front line of combat here, she's just helping out people close to her. Mm. And like, I think there's a part of some calculations that would say the best possible thing is to be out there, you know, doing the big important fighting, the most dangerous thing, doing the, 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 the greatest good measured by some calculation. But I think a lot of what this book is exploring is like, well, how do we make those calculations? Because I think Crystal saved people in today's chapter. I think she sa- she helped save Mark. She gave Mark the push he needed and she gave Amy the push she needed, which is going to make Victoria a better person. It, it hopefully will help Amy become a better person. Um, I, I don't know. Like, how do how do we measure those things? Like, I think there's a, a very easy kind of mathematical way we can measure this. Like, well, you saved two people, but the other way you could have saved a thousand people and then you should have done the thing. that. But I, I, I really do think this is kind of calling into question this idea of like, what where are you most valuable and and how we measure that, how we measure heroics is sometimes a little overly cold. Mm-hmm. And too interested in in reducing things, reducing life to numbers. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that dovetails very nicely into what the story is saying overall. That that the heroes were all kind of collectively being utilitarians. They were off fighting what they had calculated is the the biggest threats, the 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 where, where they could have the most comparative advantage. We, you know, we have to go fight this thing over here, and and the people will appreciate it, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I think actually. Um, by allowing these relationships to erode the, the human side of things, the the quid pro quo, the, the connections between people, um, you actually created a, a very, very unstable situation that almost resulted in the end of the world in like three different ways. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Like if you think I, I, this only just popped into my head in this way. And so I can't necessarily, uh, uh, lay out the whole like detailed zigzag of the plot, but like there, there's an argument I think to be made that all of the things that kind of led as a series of dominoes to this end of the world scenario happening that they then avoided could have been avoided if people had like been more boots on the ground um uh relationships with people um oriented hmm, yeah i might be wrong about that it just literally popped into my head and i'm, I'm already sort of like i don't know about that and <laughs> what about but like I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong later. We'll we'll move yeah. on for now. <laughs> I think it would be fun to actually kind of parse that idea. I think we should read the entire book again with that idea in our mind and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, I, I think that's inevitable, <laughs> right? Because now that we kind of know where the thing concludes, um, when we reread re- it, we'll be we'll be noticing those sorts of things. Sure, sure, sure. So sure. so we'll have the opportunity to say I was right or say I was super super wrong. All right. <laughs> um, that's the end of of the second to last interlude, and now we're moving on into twenty dot end. The final chapter. And here we have another killer chapter opener. Are you going to come home tonight or define home? <laughs> uh, it's a perfect opening. I, I think I think now that we're at the end of the epilogue, we can say that the clear, you know, thesis of the epilogue is survivors looking out onto the horizon as a new day breaks and going, what now? Mm-hmm. Where do I belong? What is my purpose? What is my role? Who am I? Where do I go? Where's my home? What was for breakfast? Um, I think that's 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 our epilogue, right? Mm-hmm. Every one of our characters is asking themselves these questions and working through the answers to them uh, throughout these chapters. Yeah, exactly. Of course, in the specific case, Vista is, is referring to the fact that she has, you know, sort of two different homes. But I think right, it's, right. it's beyond that because for her, that's not even really her home. Right. right. I mean, she she has these two homes, each with her own parent, but she's turning 18 and she's basically like, fuck y'all. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm 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 done. I'm done. I'm not going to live with either of you right. anymore if yeah. I don't have to. Yeah, I think I think her her attitude, which we'll see is like, yeah, you're my parents. If you behave well, I'll continue to have a relationship with you. But right, right. Uh, I'm not playing this particular game anymore because I don't have to. I don't have to play nice anymore because I don't need anything from you. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, um, her mom nags her about whether she's going to be spending time with her or her father. And and uh, this is forced to let her down by informing her that she won't be having dinner with either of them, uh, but rather with her friends. Um, and then, of course, work, which um, by which she means uh, fucking the shit out of Byron. Get it, boy. So happy for him. Um, yeah. Let's just get this on the table right off the bat. Missy's mom sucks uh-huh. she's awful um but I, I really enjoy the nuance of this conversation because i do like i, I my overall thought is ugh, you're the worst which is an opinion i think we had before this chapter <laughs> and we continue to have it by the end of it but i appreciate the complexities of this relationship and i think it ties into a lot of the stuff we were talking about with the dallins in in different ways from different yeah. directions yeah i mean i think i mean sure i think a big it's no coincidence that we're ending this book with these shitty, shitty families mm-hmm. and the people who are forced to just like manage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is both Crystal and 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 Vista, you know, and, and I think Victoria, um, they're characters who are not just saying, fuck you guys. 
And they're also not characters saying, all right, I guess I'm going to continue to bend over backwards for my entire life to put up with your shit. There's mm-hmm. they're 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 people who are saying, look, I'm going to establish a respectful sort of space between us. And if you're willing to engage with me with some healthy boundaries in place, that's fantastic. If not, then kindly fuck off. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that is like absolutely no coincidence that we're we're hitting that beat a few times toward the end of the story here. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So we learned that little V is a leader of a cape team now. She's promoted big time warden's leader. I'm so proud of her. And this is so funny because like on the one hand, I look at Carol and I say, man, you just dove right back into the whole cape thing, huh? Uh, you, I feel bad for you. But then on the other hand, I look at Vista and I'm like, fuck yeah, good job. <laughs> and I, I just think like I think that goes to show that like how like how well the characters are developed and and how much we understand them that that two characters choosing not not the exact same but a similar life can read so differently mm-hmm. because it de- it depends like it, it comes of what they want what their weaknesses are what they're struggling through and it's such a totally different thing right well also like vista's 18 and sure. carol's yeah. like what at least 40 i, I forget mm-hmm. I know we calculated this at some point. Yeah. I mean, like, she, she had Victoria pretty young. She right? had her really young, but, but so she's probably, um, she's probably about 40. I, I don't know. Like I can't follow but, the passage of time in yeah, any of these stories. You, you so think I, think I no could idea. add these two numbers. But, um, <laughs> 21 plus 18 is about, uh, is about that 40. That would be 39. Yeah. Yes. Roughly, roughly forty. As in, in, as a mathematic, as a mathematician would say, twenty one plus thirty. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the, the point is, the point is, a decision like just the age difference means a different thing, right? Like, like this mm-hmm. is a young person at the beginning of her of her career, effectively um, making a decision about what her career is going to be. Carol is just kind of stuck, right? I think sure, I think that's sure. one reason why it feels different. Yeah. Anyway, um, so. Vista notices that her mom keeps sort of trailing off stuff, stuff like, I, I, I want you to have a full life. I had so many doubts when we, when we agreed to send you to the wards and, and this, I wish your dad hadn't let you go that morning. And then Vista says, you let me go too, kind of the phone call. Remember it's more that you changed after a light went out and, and it's, you know, I, I, I had doubts. I wish your dad hadn't. Uh, I, I'm reminded a bit of uh, Steven Universe's father with the whole like, oh, someone should do something approach to parenting um, as if she's somehow like the victim and needs reassurance from her child. Matt, hold on. Do, do you do you hear that noise or some sort of rumbling? Oh, Christ. I think I hear something in the. Yeah, it's the Steven Universe fandom fucking storming our gates for you comparing Greg Universe to Vista's parents. Are you crazy, Matt? You're going to like they're going to kill us. Look, they're going to kill us. I had to sink the podcast behind me. <laughs> In all seriousness, I do know what you mean here. Um, Greg Universe is a great character. I love him. He is not nearly as bad as Vista's parents. But but we made this all. point on that podcast, though. No, we did. We did. Yes. Um, but I, I like her mom seems to understand some of what Vista's been through, like there's, there's a barrier here. There's a, there's a gap. It's almost as if the person in question has a power that can increase distances between people. Um, 
And that is what is happening with Vista and her parents, where there's just this distance between them and they literally cannot understand each other. And it was kind of this this recurring cycle, right, where Vista talks about this, where she like she tried to explain these things to her parents. She tried to make her parents understand why she wanted to be a cape, what cape life was like, what this whole thing is. And her parents just weren't getting it. And so her response was to just um, not mention it as much, uh-huh. just to kind of shut down and, and not talk about it as much. And that only furthered the gap that only increased the distance between them even more to the point where now she's an adult and it's the grand fucking Canyon. Yeah. I like that. I mean, obviously the metaphor works perfectly before I forget. I want to mention that subsequently when Byron has his arms like wrapped around her and she's kind of holding them there, that's, that's a great symbol of like, you can't, you can't actually push him away. You can't, she can't use her power to push him away. Right. Mm -hmm. They're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're touching that's closeness that yeah. like it, it makes sense to me that physical closeness literally like like hugging hugging someone is is the symbol to vista of like acceptance and i want this person close to me um sure, anyway sure. anyway yeah yeah uh, i mean it is it is pretty clear that her mom just doesn't get her yeah. at all she doesn't get her she doesn't get cape life she doesn't get any of it and whenever it seems like whenever Vista does try to explain it to her mom, her mom's just like, oh, whatever. Oh, like the, yeah. the line where she's like, um, like, you really embarrassed me when you brought up my overtime in front of the PRT. Like you embarrassed me and you got me in trouble because they take that very seriously. And she's just like, oh, whatever. Ah, oh, whatever. She just doesn't she doesn't get it. Um, yeah. However, and this is I'm going to attempt to be charitable to Vista's mom here for a second. I don't know how well I would handle the concept of, oh, your kid has superpowers and she wants to be a child soldier now. So, um, yeah, I guess just just deal with that. Like, I I hope that I would be better than Missy's parents. (laughs) Like, I, 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 I hope in my heart and I believe in my heart that I would be a better person at dealing with that kind of thing. But like, can you imagine if your eldest came home and was just like, yeah, I'm going to go um, fight crime now. And also, sometimes there's going to be giant Godzillas that come to my town. And I'm going to go fight those two. Um, just so just like deal with that. Uh huh. Like that'd be probably pretty hard, Matt. Yeah, it's funny that it. I almost feel put on the spot because I'm like, what would I do if if one of my <laughs> one of my kids triggered? Um, I. Not, I don't I'm think not, you actually have to answer the question, but it's, but I, it's think, interesting. I think I think that's the point is because the answering the question is not just like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd totally be behind right. it. I'd, I'd read all the yeah. all the research and be like, oh, yeah. So how's it going at, at a child soldier camp today? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's it like their tendencies and the way in which the, the two of her parents like used her as a pawn in their games exacerbated a lot of the issues and I, I don't think they're great people, but also yet like this is a really this is a really tough mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's this idea that the powers go to people who don't have the support networks very sure, often. Sure, sure. Um, and and so the the fact that her parents suck is is kind of no coincidence, right? Which is, I mean, Vista says not to her mom, not out loud, but to herself that the you said you said a light went out in me and like i tried to explain to you that the light went out before i triggered mm-hmm. like and you just weren't paying attention yeah, to me yeah that's why you triggered yeah 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 no i mean that that's that's a good point um i but but i i think i think that definitely like they they clearly didn't handle it anything close to you know correctly no no definitely uh, not yeah 
So yeah, in the end though, it does seem like the conversation does go somewhere because Vista, she's able to unload a little bit of the story that she's been keeping from her mom, telling her how she killed Bastion during the Leviathan fight. Yeah. Um, we see that Vista is actually trying to be like fully honest with her mom now because there's no reason not to be. Uh, her mom no longer really has the power to hold her back if she doesn't like the direction her cape life is going. And, and so she's taking the opportunity to be like, hey, look, like I'm, I'm going to be honest now. I'm going to tell you about these painful things and it's going to suck to hear. But, you know, I, it, we, we got to do it this way. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things that I've noticed by living for 34 years is that your relationship with your parents is just kind of constantly evolving as you age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the big ones is, you know, that transition to adulthood, that that is a fundamental shift in how you relate to your parents. Um, And in in this case, in Missy's case, um, that dynamic shifted the power in the relationship kind of in that they no longer had the power to take away the things that she wanted to do. And because of that shift in power, she is finally able to um, not breach the gap between them, but like maybe start to shrink it a little bit, Uh just a little bit like like I'm not saying that her parents are suddenly going to become amazing people or anything, but I think like it just, the, the dynamic of the relationship here has shifted so enormously that, and I, I kind of like, you know, picking backing off what we were talking about earlier, this idea that like, I don't think that this was possible under their old power dynamic. Like, I just don't think with, with Vista kind of subservient to them, they this gap could have been yeah. breached but but the hopeful thing is that now that she's 18 and now that the switch has happened now that this this relation they're kind of replotting what their relationship is mm-hmm. there is a tinge of of hope here for what that relationship might look like in the future yeah well sure i i do like this idea that these are chapters full of people extending a hand mm-hmm. um extending a hand sort of on their own terms or, or sort of on terms that involve boundaries and that's what's happening here is she's saying, look, you know, all right, I, I don't have to be under your thumb anymore, but I'm not just I'm not just going to fuck off and, and never see you again. You're, yeah. you're my mom. We're, we're going to. But but like it's going to be different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this a minute ago when we were talking about Sarah and Crystal and I couldn't really articulate it. But I think this I think it works just as well here because I was thinking about this idea that Crystal see, Crystal looks at her mom and, and, and there's an uncanny valley effect because you're seeing someone who is not quite the person who you knew. And one kind of weird thing that I don't think is talked about very much is as you're watching your kids grow up, um, you will see them and be like, Hey, you're, you're different than you were a week ago. (laughs) You're like, you're not, you're not really the same. Like, like you were, you were a little kid. You would have responded in in a little kid way to this Mm -hmm. a month ago, maybe you're you're a different person than you were and this is happening constantly and there's a constant kind of un, uncanniness to it there's a constant renegotiation of like okay well i can't i and now i realize i can't scold you like that anymore because you are too mature for that kind of interaction and i need i need to i need to readjust and so from the parent side there's actually a constant kind of um uh 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 discomfort um and 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 need and and a need to continue to kind of keep your hand extended and be like look i get it i get that this is i get that it's hard to be a kid 
but I'm always going to be here willing to try to make up that difference and that awkwardness. Um, and I think, honestly, I think part, part of the problem, like part of like a classic fail, failure mode of parents is that at a certain point, they cease to be able to extend that hand and they get offended. <laughs> they, they get offended by their kid um, and they decide that it's something is their kid's fault. Um, and that's become a bit of a tangent, but um, I do think it's really interesting how, you know, we're really examining in these two chapters in particular, this parent-child relationship concept. So um, I wanted to put that out there as like, yeah, th these are relationships that actually do require constant renegotiation and evolution. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really love that framing. Obviously, that's not something I've encountered, what with not having any children, but um, I really appreciate that insight. That's really cool. I like that. Cool. Cool. So in the end, it does seem like the conversation, oh, we already talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her mom tells her that both her and her dad did uh, stand together to argue for the humans to bring the capes out of the dreaming death, which Vista does find touching. And so do I, Matt. But as someone on Twitter pointed out to me, taking the bold stance of, hey, please don't kill my daughter isn't something I want to heap like too much praise on. <laughs> The minimum possible effort star. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I think to me and my interpretation of this was to Vista, it was less the idea, just the idea that they were arguing for their daughter's sake and more the idea that they were doing it together, that they were setting aside their like bullshit, destructive competition to work together for their daughter's well-being for the first time ever mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna say ever i'm mm -hmm. gonna say ever probably maybe. yeah um and so i think that's the part that i think vista finds the most touching not just the hey don't kill my daughter but the but the collectively hey don't kill our daughter uh -huh. um i think yeah. is, is an important distinction I, there. I also like to imagine that they were so like shitty and passive aggressive to each other in this speech that everyone <laughs> in the audience was like oh my god i i like i get it now like i get why their, her, their daughter their daughter must have had such a horrible life let's we have to save her. So in this scenario, uh -huh. in this scenario, these two people are like, are, are just so shitty uh -huh. that the entirety of the community is just like, yeah, we got to bring these case back to life because I get, I understand uh -huh. them for the first time. Yeah. Are yeah, we they, all this shitty? If we're all this shitty, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. They finally got it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they converted a whole room of anti-parahumans. Oh my gosh. That's great. All right. Um, so they talk about the dreaming death and what it meant. And Vista says that it was always more about us mm -hmm. about the capes and how they'd situated themselves with respect to the humans. Uh, you know, she says, were we okay? Had we done enough? Had we made amends for wrongs and were we contributing to something better? And I, I really have to compare this to something mm -hmm. from a different, you know, a different book, different book where a character says fighting him always more about us than about him not a consideration referring to of course scion mm -hmm. so let's just talk for just a second about how these two stories relate because now yeah, we can let's look back it. over both of them yeah let's do it let's do it because yeah this is big this is big it, it, it is i mean very you know sim similar language formations um, mm -hmm. referring to different different things but also referring to similar things because we're in both cases we're talking about you know we're talking about groups we're talking about a, a group of people who who feel like hey ha, ha, are, are we what we should be have we done what we should have done Have mm -hmm. we have we treated others the way we should have treated them and and maybe finding themselves lacking um maybe finding that that 
they need to reassess and reorient. I think in both cases, you can say you can say that Taylor means a similar thing to what Vista means. I think there are differences. I think there are distinctions, but I also think that there are overlaps in what they're both saying here. Yeah, I mean, the the struggle, like, I I think it it relates back to the biggest, most important struggle in a person's life is the their internal one that and that that the internal struggle informs the external struggle that this is about me and my choices and my decisions less than it is about you and your choices and your decisions, because I can't control your choices. I can only control my choices. And that I think is is definitely a connection between these two stories for sure Uh yeah taking responsibility for yourself maybe Mm -hmm. is is one one big thing that resonates between the two and like accepting the things you i'm gonna quote the alcoholics anonymous phrase here but accepting the things you can't control like like you cannot you cannot control taylor you cannot control other people um (laughs) i mean you literally can but but you can't but like yeah but metaphorically (laughs) um okay well that too you can't Okay, it doesn't look. <laughs> you should you shouldn't though. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah. Or or no, I think the point is you try to and it doesn't actually really solve the problem. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think at the end here. This this wasn't about the anti-parahumans. This like I, I think there I, there's a lot of comments I've seen around this like, "Well, what why weren't they a more prevalent part about the story?" Cuz the story wasn't about them. Cuz yeah. we we can't control like you can't control what the bad actors do. Um you you can only react to it. Like yeah. you're not going to make bad people stop doing bad things ever. Yeah. You can only choose how you react to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, there's obviously a huge amount of stuff we could talk about comparing the two stories because as a sequel, um, it riffs on, but you know, in, in ways that play on and then deviate from the themes of the original. And, mm-hmm. and we've worked that in throughout the podcast. It's not like we're saving it all to the end. Um, but I do, I feel like that is something that I'd like to talk more about in our mailbag episode. Yeah, so. let's do it. Let's make cool. a plan. I'm writing it down in my head. Okay. Me, yep. That's that, that, <laughs> that always works for me too. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, so, um, her mom continues to be annoying and childish. So Vista fucks up her gear shift as she gets out of the car, leaving her mom to think about what she did. Take that you mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this is the perfect way to leave this scene, though, because I think it makes it very clear what the new dynamic is, right? Like, this is the new dynamic. This is the new power dynamic. If you if you start shit with me, I don't have to take it anymore. And I'm you're just you're just done. And and like that is representative of our new dynamic. Get used to it. If you want to have a relationship with me, which is exactly what you said. But like we've made that. We've made that into power usage. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I'm hopeful that, that, that you know, we talked last chapter about how, hey, sometimes it's okay for these relationships to not to, to end and not get better. But I'm, I'm hopeful about this one. I think, I think there's, there's a little, little bit of hope in this. Yeah, right. I think I think that just giving a sort of firm piece of feedback like that is is valid. Um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. think we're meant to be hopeful. Like like she does smile at her mom as she leaves. Like mm-hmm. it's it's probably a, a kind of a shit eating smile, but it's a smile. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So Vista makes her way through a bustling construction zone into a building where Victoria Dallin is teaching a class about trigger events, wearing a tank top that shows off her scars. Literally showing off her scars mm-hmm. and figuratively showing off her scars by talking about her trigger. 
in front of a class full of people. Um, and then she uses her fragile friend, who I guess is also a representation of her scars, to hand out papers. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is great stuff, Matt. Like, I love the ways in which this whole thing demonstrates that she is both back where she started, but entirely different, right? Like she's back with the patrol block. This is exactly where we joined her in the story. She's back with the patrol block, but she's entirely different. She's dressed differently. She's wearing a tank top. She's exposing skin. Like remember, remember at the start of this book when she was so uncomfortable in her battle or battle, she was so uncomfortable in her body that she just like, didn't want like she, like she had a hard time, like, changing her clothes yeah and she's wearing a tank top now um that's that's huge she's exposing her scars like you said in the the first chapter she said the closest thing she had to a home was her office um we don't see her have any friends she's got kind of this kind of tenuous relationship with some people in the patrol block um she has this awkward conversation with her parental units she's hiding who she is she's hiding that she's a cape and she's hiding the wretch um like this is different. This is yeah. totally different. And so she's, she's in a similar place. She's in a similar role, but she has changed so much. And, and by showing, by making the similarity clear, the differences become it enormous. Emphasized, like it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Right. All of those things you just listed are things where she has shown tremendous growth and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the story has, has exhibited the growth with this great, visual you know visualization of it yeah yeah and i think one of the other things that i forgot to mention but like her her role back in the patrol block earlier was like very technical was just like data numbers here's things we know about powers here's things we know about capes it's that kind of thing she's still doing like cape nerdy stuff now but it's very like it's much more emotional which is the way she like compassionate it's much yeah. more like here's how you talk to them here's how you deal with them like here's like it's just a it's a different way of viewing them. It's a right. different lens to view yeah. this interaction between. Yeah. Well, even when the guy is like, well, how can we use this against them? Which really, I mean, it's sort of shitty, but it's sort of a pragmatic thought. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but she, she's like, don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, both for technical reasons and it's just also kind of shitty. Right. Right. Um, so then Victoria delivers the thesis statement of her character. She mm-hmm. says, my approach here is focused on information and compassion. Hero or villain, powered or unpowered, everyone has a reason for doing what they're doing. Everyone's going through something. Stay mindful of that, especially when dealing with capes. Ugh, gosh. Thesis statement of Victoria, yes. Thesis statement of parahumans, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I do think, like, I, I don't like, I don't like talking about the author in a way that, like, assigns things to him. But, like, looking across these two books, I, I do think, like, this this concept of everyone has a reason for doing what they're doing. Everyone going, going through something is like a unifying idea across these two books. And it makes me think this is something that our author here is very interested in this, this concept of why do people behave the way that they do? Uh There's, there's gotta be a reason behind it. And time and time again, this book has said, yeah, there is like, here it is. And, and I think the thing I love about it, especially this one is, like just because there's a reason for why you're doing what you're doing doesn't mean you're not responsible for doing it. Right. Um, and, and I love that that's been a constant refrain throughout the story. Like, like, I mean, Amy is the best example of that. It's like, yes, there's, there's a reason Amy has had a shitty life and has gone through a lot, but none of that excuses the choices she made. None Mm -hmm. of it. And, and so you can, 
you can explore that. You can explore, you can use information and compassion to understand the things that people are going through to help them get out of them. But that doesn't mean you're giving them a free pass. And I don't think that's something that arc one Victoria could have agreed with. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right. I think that, I mean, it it took, it took a lot of the book for her to struggle through that, you know, forgive and forget sort of, um, it was almost like she she was wrestling with this Gordian knot, and I think at a certain point she was able to just kind of sidestep it in a certain way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 great. I I agree. I think you know not only is this you know central to the story, but I feel like that's one of the superpowers of stories is is that like by letting this idea refract through a thousand different you know story choices and, and you know dozens of different characters, you absorb it, you get it you see it 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 becomes part of you right you you like i i can't remember not having already believed this right, <laughs> right <laughs> everyone's right. everyone's going through something you know um everyone has a reason for what they're doing it's like yeah yeah of course mm-hmm. <laughs> of course that's true um but like you know I, I i think i think before i read before i started reading worm i first of all i was you know younger <laughs> This is taking a long time, um, but but also also like I, I don't think I I don't think I gave people very much of the benefit of the doubt. I think I do a better job of that now. Yeah, I I I think I do too. Um, yeah, I, I I totally agree. That that's the power of these stories, and and I mean to kind of preface a conversation I really want to have with you next week. I think that's the power of this format of storytelling in particular. This serialized, sprawling kind of storytelling allows you to refract these ideas through so many different characters and different lenses mm-hmm. that you really get get a, a a much a much wider understanding of the concept than like a a focused um you know to the point type of regular length novel mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think you're right cool um i, I do love that the scene ends matt <laughs> The scene ends with Victoria basically like just nerding out on cape stuff and it just we do a section break like mid sentence. And I think the implication is here. Victoria continues to talk about cape shit for like an hour, (laughs) but Uh let's just skip ahead. And I love that because that's so Victoria. Of course she does. Yeah, she loves this shit. She loves it. And I'm so happy. She's so excited about it and she's getting to do it and she's getting to lecture people on it. Like she's so I love it. it. It warms my heart. Me too. Me too. Yeah, that's a great story choice. Mm -hmm. So the pair make their way to the edge of the city and into the wilderness, finding a clearing and building a fire, Uh, trying to build a fire until Rachel shows up to help. (laughs) Chastity, Cassidy and Rain accompany her. And uh, we see them for about two seconds before Rachel tells them to fuck off. Um, Just just long enough to verify that the trio is still sticking together. Yeah, I think this is the part uh, of the epilogue where I kind of clued into this idea that it's doing triple duty here. Like it's wrapping up the book, it's wrapping up parahumans, but it's also like wrapping up this this seven epilogue chapter thing here because we're now like circling back around to something we saw in an earlier epilogue chapter and just being like, yes, time has passed since that thing and everything seems to be going okay still. So we get a little bit of closure on something in a chapter that was about a little bit of other closure. And I think that's really cool that, that, that makes this, this, from this point on in the chapter, it feels really, um, 
culminating <laughs> in, in ways like that. And I think this is one of the ways because we're not just wrapping up the book. We're not just wrapping up parahumans as a universe. We're also just tying loose ends off of even stuff we discussed in just the epilogue. Yeah. I think yeah. It's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. We, we bring back most, if not all of, of the other epilogue characters. Um, yeah. Um, or, or at least the ones who were in those chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also like how, Rachel's like they ask her how things are going without the three of them around and her line is it's quieter but quiet is nice for a little while mm-hmm. I I feel like this is just Rachel speak for I missed them yeah like I, like it's quieter yeah mm-hmm. quiet like the for a little while is such a powerful mm-hmm. like thing to end at the end of that sentence yeah. because it's like I'm okay right now but I know I'm gonna miss them yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rachel, you know, she can never say I'm right. lonely. She can never right. admit weakness. Um even around people she really likes, but um Yeah, but I I, I, I agree them. with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Um I yeah, I, I mean, like that's the thing about this is I, I love Rachel. She's just like looming and being ominous and silent and like <laughs> looking angry, but like we we, we aren't worried cuz like mm-hmm. we know we know Rachel. We know how she is. And you know, Vista knows Rachel. It so <laughs> It's I think we take it exactly the way it's supposed to be taken. Right. And and I love that we're in the head of the character who knows all of the stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like it, it helps reinforce that idea. Like if we had been in Victoria's head here, um, maybe it wouldn't have been as clear and there would have been more confusion and more tension in our point of view character when she's like, I'm not sure. But like, yeah, Vista's just like, I'm not worried about this. I know exactly what she means here. Like I, I like it's just yeah, it's 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 matches our understanding of Rachel as a character and allows these moments where she's saying one thing, but hinting towards another to really land better. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Rachel shows Vista how to make a fire, um, showing that she's not letting in enough air, which is probably a metaphor for something. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then of course, I, I mean, I can't help but notice once again, the story kind of ends with Rachel and Vista being together like that. That's another it's another moment that that I remember from the uh, from the epilogues of of Worm as being something that stood out to me. Yeah, I mean they, they kind of really just laid the seeds for that friendship growing deeper yeah. um in the future and we we haven't like Rachel's been around in the background of this story. Um Vista's been around in the background of the story. They occasionally come to the foreground a little bit, but we haven't really focused on them specifically a lot, but it is nice at the end of this story to just see that that exactly what we kind of speculated would happen after the worm epilogue did happen. Their relationship deepened. It strengthened. She's I love that. Like we talked about earlier, that she's kind of started to adopt a little bit of a Rachel-y style. Mm-hmm. And we see here Vista's wearing uh, wearing the jacket that used to belong to Cassie, but mm-hmm. doesn't fit her anymore. And, and Rachel has given it to her, which is almost like prob like she's in the pack. Right. Like uh-huh. it's like. I've given you my, this is, this is the pack signifier. <laughs> you're in yeah. my pack. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right about that. I love, I love that. Yeah. And as for the fire, like, I think we could probably maybe talk about like the fact that they were suffocating a fire as part of our like ongoing red, blue, warmth, cold imagery that you and I have talked about ad nauseum throughout this podcast. I, I want to go a simpler route here of just like, Hey, people, people need help. (laughs) Like not everyone is good at everything. Victoria is one of the smartest, capable human beings out there, but she doesn't know how to make a fire. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but she's got people for that. She's got friends. She's got people to lean on to help with that. Mm -hmm. Like 
not everyone can do everything alone. People need people. We need community. And so Rachel shows up and says, I can do that. And yeah. I, and I, here's how here's I, not only can I do it, I'll teach you how to do it. Um, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, we, we do learn that Kenzie, uh, the one who yaps constantly, <laughs> uh, has been allowed to come back to Rachel's school for gifted youngsters. So that's really, you know, wonderful to hear. Yeah. I, she's going to supervise her the entire time. She doesn't get to be alone, but she's getting another shot. Um, uh-huh. I, I really like this because there's this moment where Victoria brings this up and then Rachel seems annoyed and uh-huh. like Vista gives Victoria the don't don't push anymore with this thing message. Uh-huh. And I think in the past, Rachel probably would have just like not said anything, but then she brings it up again. It's Rachel that then goes like, yeah, well, she's not going to get to be on by her own on her own. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm not going to leave her unsupervised, but I can't separate her from the others. Like, so like, yeah. it's just like, I think just the, f- like the fact that Rachel doesn't even need prodding, to go into that a little bit more, even though it's something that annoys her also shows she's continued along her path and she's yeah. continued to grow and, uh, and process the way she's feeling and communicate the way she's feeling, um, in ways that other people can understand a little bit more. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, my, my take on Rachel is that, is that it's a process of her continually reminding herself that, that everyone is, is just dogs. <laughs> and, and once she sees Kenzie as a dog, Mm-hmm. As, as a puppy, which I mean, she literally does because she says she yaps. Um, then she can't really be that mad at her because she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Pu- puppies, puppies, they pee on the, they pee on the carpet. They nip, they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You can't hold it against them. You can yeah. be annoyed with them, but you can't really, you can't really, you know, carry right. a grudge against the puppy. It's yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to separate that puppy from its pack. Yeah. Like, I, I can't do that either. Exactly. So, um, exactly. Uh, the best thing I can do is is closely supervise the puppy and hope that it gets the training it needs. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're, we're we're all just dogs, Scott. Yep. It's a long all of story. us. Yep. <laughs> um. So I have I just have to bring this out as just being delightful to me. Where, um, Ra- Rachel's talking about like having muscle, and then you know, yeah, Rachel looked at Victoria as she said it. Victoria flexed. Rachel gave her a dismissive grunt. Eh. Eh. <laughs> it's good. You're fine. I do physio every day though. I lift weights twice a week. So like, I just love, I just love this. Cause like, it's certainly not going to bother Victoria for like three weeks or anything. Like she's not going <laughs> to be in the shower the next day going like, Oh yeah, Rachel, how much do you squat? Huh? Yeah. She's going to quit her job with the patrol block and become a professional bodybuilder. That's just going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, like every time she sees Rachel from now on, she'll be like, in a, flex. It, <laughs> yeah, in a tank leaning against the wall. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. I love Victoria. I'm going to miss I'm going to miss her. She's great. Me too. Uh, so next, the Rockton Bay heroes show up. Uh, the two dead ones plus Hannah. Uh, there's no Colin, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, would you, why Why do you think that is? Um, you know, he's, I don't know. He's busy. He's not. He doesn't just just doesn't feel part of that. That group might be the case. Maybe he's yeah. not really that guy anymore. Yeah. 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 And and Byron is there. Um, yeah. The, yeah. I, I think it's about him. I think it's important that we get this little interlude here where Byron shows up and, and Vista just kind of like tunes out literally everything else that's happening and they just mm-hmm. kind of get, get a little, little interval of them being cute. It, it's just this little touchstone of normal kind of just healthy teenage romance in, in the middle of this chapter. I think this is pretty crucial to this chapter working. 
Yeah, and Byron like gives a baller compliment here, right? Like, I love the dress and the hair. You look stunning. Mm-hmm. It's great. And and I remember Byron as kind of like the goofy, shy kid who just didn't wasn't good at this kind of smoothness in mm-hmm. the past. Like, I remember Tristan chastising him for this because he just like it's not that he couldn't talk to the girls he liked. It's just that he couldn't like pick up on signals and reciprocate like smoothness and mm-hmm. compliments in a way and that frustrated the shit out of Tristan but look I mean this is good I love the dress and the hair you look stunning you look stunning yeah um and then Perfect. when he on the other hand when he starts to doubt his own appearance and saying is like I wasn't sure what was appropriate to wear I wasn't sure how dressed up people would be he starts to like get a, like show a little bit of his insecurity she immediately reassures him right you look perfect she says you look perfect this is what these two can do for each other and this little bit of the chapter gives us a glimpse of it how they lean on each other how they support each other how they strengthen each other um it's it's really great i love it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's beautiful it's beautiful Mm -hmm. um so yeah the uh the undersiders show up next um tattletale goes right to hang with vicky immediately her best friend in the universe (laughs) um also uh, you know i tried way too long to infer from cues which ward it was that imp had dated but i just couldn't make it work look as much as i can't fucking believe it (laughs) it basically has to be kid win right like it i can't i can't like it's not missy i don't think there's been no indication there i don't think it's clock blocker i think it's gotta be kid win i feel like clock blocker would have blabbed something like like right. it's just it, it's also just funnier if it's kid win right yes so. yes i think it and, has to and be. i can kind of imagine i can i can actually more easily imagine aisha being attracted to to kid win than than dennis I, I, I don't I don't I know guess. why I say that exactly. I, I have no idea why you say that either. But but I am I am well known for my my Kidwin feeling, so I cannot be I cannot be impartial about this. But I think I think it's him. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll never know. This is the big mystery, <laughs> the remaining big mystery going out of out of war. Every single other mystery was was answered to our satisfaction. Yeah, we even we, sort of know what Sleeper's power is, sort of. Yeah, um, we said that there was no ambiguous endings at the end of Ward, and we were wrong. Yeah, it's right here. Yeah, and because uh, we had the opportunity, right? Whose name did she say first? Though I don't have it right in front of me. Never mind. We'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. Everyone, everyone, help us figure this out. I really, really need to know. Does it really matter? <laughs> Super crucial to okay. understand. Um, okay. um, I, I like this bit where uh, Byron says, you know, I thought, you know, it's he basically says, like, sh- should I kind of hang back? Like, it, it's the Brockton Bay reunion. I'm a bit out of place. Mm-hmm. And Vista says, there's a bunch of people who are out of place. Don't worry about it. It's my birthday and I want you right here. And I, I just really enjoyed this moment because it's Vista acknowledging that, like, you know, everybody doesn't quite fit perfectly. There's heroes and villains, there's people from different backgrounds, people with complicated pasts, even people who have been at odds with each other at the same party. But they're all mm-hmm. trying. They're all getting along and they're all enjoying some rabbit together. Right, right. I mean, this get together represents our entire cast, basically, just about not everyone, but just about. And you see, Matt, we live in a society. <laughs> And a society is a bunch of disparate people coming together that don't always get along, that often feel out of place. Um, 
but I think as long as you approach each other with those two key things of Victoria, with information and compassion, a whole lot is possible. Just like here, just like they, all these disparate people, all of them feel out of place. All of them feel weird. All of them have haunting pasts, but they're coming here and they're existing together and they're enjoying each other's company and they're making something better than they are individually. Mm-hmm. And that's the book, man. I love it. It's beautiful. Yep. It's a beautiful ending. It's it's the scene we needed. I got I got my "We live in a society" uh, quote yeah. right there, right there under uh, the wire. We, we almost almost made it out. <laughs> um. So Crystal then arrives to tell Vicky that Amy has gone into the east. Um. And Tattletale kind of gives us a rundown of the situation. She says, says Amy's gone and not coming back, uh, at least in part because the people in charge want to keep her away. Um, one of those powerful people being Tattletale, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see that Tattletale is actually working like really hard to offset her bad reputation. Um, so hard that you might even label her heroic now. Um, and of course, you know this choice to to banish Amy has just nothing to do with her personal love of Victoria. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing at all. Like, no. in fact, when Byron asks, did you do that for Victoria? She snorts. Uh-huh. She snorts because that's how ridiculous yeah. the idea would be that she does just, just for cred, Matt. That's all she cares about. It's just the cred. Just the cred. Yeah, yeah. that's preposterous. It. Yeah, no. Let me let me snort. Excuse me. Yes. yes. Let me let me protest too much. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, like that. That's the thing, though. I mean, we've talked about this with Rachel and now we've talked about this with Tattletail where we have these characters who don't communicate in a straightforward way. But here at the end of two books worth of words, like we just can see right through it. And I yeah. think the text wants us to see right through it. Like. I don't even think Wild Bo has to give us too many clues here. I think you just read that and we're just like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So next, the Heartbroken and Kenzie show up with a holographic Tristan. And we get the semi-reunion that, you know, I personally have been desperate for this entire book. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a it's a lovely conversation. Um like we see that without Victoria's help, they're working on a solution for Tristan, right? Like it's, and we don't get to, like, we talked last week, like, Oh, I, I would love for them to hug and they don't get to hug because Tristan's still like a hologram with like a claw thingy. <laughs> so they don't, they don't get to hug, but it's a start, right? I love the moment when the two brothers go off and talk. I, I, I think that's wonderful. And I love that we don't get to see what they say. Mm-hmm. Like, like there was part of me. It was like, oh, my God, I want to see what they say to each other so bad. I want to yeah. see this so bad. But I love that Missy just is like, I, it's not for me. And she she looks away from it. And so we do as well. Um, it, it just it just feels like the perfect thing. That's for them. The book's over now. I don't get that anymore. I don't get that information anymore. That's for them now. Um, I, I think it's it's lovely. It really is. Yeah. I think I can also imagine what they would talk about well enough that that it's fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I I, I agree though. I agree. Um, the, so the kid wardens are here uh, with the majors. Finale plays guitar for everyone, which is just a perfect perfect touch. Like it is. It just is. In, in terms of visualizing, like winding down, like th- that's almost the indication of like, oh, that's it. We're winding down. Chapter's yeah. almost over. Somebody brought mm-hmm. out the guitar. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, um, Victoria and Missy talk about having seen Dean in the dream and getting closure. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's a lovely. I, I, I enjoyed the little moment where she goes to Byron and be like, don't worry, nothing happened. Yeah. In in my dream conversation. with, with It's right. really fun. Right. I, I am glad that I'm glad Missy got that closure and I'm glad they got that collective closure. Um, I, I also like this little beat where we see that withdrawal is like super into hollow Tristan. Yes. Um, but they compare that to Missy's kind of obsession with Dean uh-huh. in that it's just not reciprocated at all. And they feel bad for withdrawal a little bit, but it's a little, it's a little cute moment right. where it's just like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is oh, cute. You, you look kid. Yeah, it is cute. It, and, and also they, I think they say that Tristan is smiling, which is also right. Right. So you're like, you know, like this is, this is positive for him because we know Tristan loves, he loves to party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He's not going to have a beer cause he's a hologram, but you know, <laughs> at least, at least he's getting to flirt. So taken out of context, the phrase he's not going to have a beer because he's a hologram is like (laughs) the craziest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the good ending for him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of closure, Tattletale tells us that the etching made by the Titans was a piece of the answer. Um, Which I don't know if I can really characterize accurately. Like, like my kind of superficial takeaway was like things come to an end. And that, that was kind of what the answer was related to. Well, that's the that, I see. I thought that was the question. Like the, the question they're tr- or the problem they're trying to solve is that things come to an end. Right. That, I mean, that's entropy. Like that's, that's what they're trying to solve. Yeah. They're trying to keep that from happening. But I yeah. almost but but I feel I mean, Telltale does literally say it's beyond our ken. So right. she can't she can't give us the actual answer. But it's it's. I, I took it to mean something to do with acceptance of like, look, look, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we're going about this the wrong way. Right. I mean, I think if there's if there's an ambiguity at the end of this book, it's it's that, I guess. Uh-huh. And, and like, because we don't get the answer here. But I, I, like, I think I think you can make your speculations like something to do with the acceptance, understanding, teamwork, community, mm-hmm. You know, like like just think about that. Like we, we joked about it in the intro, but the, 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 the terrible suffering that the species has wrought upon the universe because they're just scared of the end. Like they're just terrified of the end. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and are yeah. like, I, I like that hopefully so hopefully the message is not ah here's actually a piece of the puzzle to actually solve entropy and the more is just here's a way to deal with the trauma of being terrified of death <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean i that's what i that's kind of i, I don't i don't i don't know if we love the idea of head head cannon but that's my head cannon <laughs> as sure. far as i'm concerned there's sure. not really a ton of co- confirmation for it i guess is why i'm like yeah, who knows? But yeah, but that that's what I think anyway. Yeah. Just like Taylor is alive, um, what is what? being etched into the crystal what? is acceptance. <laughs> I don't think those are the same those thing. Those are the same thing and they're both true. <laughs> it's yep. Um I love this sentence. Rain Rain nodded. He looked bewildered, like the idea that things might not end terribly had only just occurred to him. <laughs> and that's like the last bit of rain in the story. <laughs> I'm just like that's perfect. <laughs> So fucking rain. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But I mean, there, I think there is something to that though. There's like, just like, like things still end, right? Like we're talking about like endings and this book is going to end, but just because it ends doesn't mean it has to be a bad ending. Yeah. And so like, re- like no character in the story is like, 
oh man, we really got to deal with the possible end of our existence someday in the future. They're all, they're all just like, um, Hey, things might be okay for a while. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's good. And maybe that's all we need to be concerned about. Yeah. And the entities can't do that. (laughs) And hopefully they will learn how to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, in keeping with that, the book ends with the characters musing over, the name for their unnamed megacity and they consider word, words like forever eternal and perpetuity yeah yeah i mean it's perfect because like we talked last week this naming <clears throat> the lack of naming of the city is representative of the people's inability to move on and to actually grow and change and so here at the end giving it a name putting putting up your roots naming your home declaring your place and purpose is significant and making that purpose eternal and so like like you said moments after we're talking about the entities trying to solve a problem of entropy we have our characters declaring their home to be um forever lasting and that's not actually true right like human beings did not solve entropy they didn't do it like this planet that they're sitting on is not going to last forever but it doesn't matter like that's like that's like we're here now and things are going to be okay for a little while and and that is something we can hold on to in perpetuity and it doesn't matter if it's literally true or not yeah well it's something you it's something you can strive for even while knowing it's impossible right right exactly that's that's life right life is life is knowing that we're all going to die but striving to live the best possible way yeah the whole time yeah. Um, this is this whole thing's going to end just like this book's right. going to end no matter what we do. That doesn't mean we can't make it the best damn book possible. Yeah. I remember how in, in the city they name areas based on the area that it w- would be on Earth bet. Yes. How fucking metaphorical that is. Or, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I don't know if we ever actually talked about that. That's wonderful. Yeah. I don't think we read into it what was obviously there to be read into it. Um, yeah. In retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of stuff like that. Oh, I'm sure there is. Yep. Uh, um. Yeah. Victoria ends the book saying, "I think it'd be good." Smiling a little, her face lit by the fire in what was near total darkness. Otherwise, a reminder that we press on no matter what. That there's always a way forward. So yeah, great, great, great capstone to the book. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, gorgeous uh, light imagery that we've got here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, like I love that the book is not playing games here. The darkness is not gone. In fact, in, in this sentence, it's everywhere. It's total darkness, except for this one point of light. Like that's them. That's each other. That's the fire that Victoria and Missy and and Rachel created together that all of these human beings create together. Um, that is the hope towards future, the hope and the desire to move forward is perpetual mm-hmm. is forever lasting um and that's yeah. where we leave the book yeah um since i can't let go um i'm going to continue <laughs> this a little bit longer and just say that i want to compare that line against another ending sure. ending series of lines sure but i've dealt with worse if it comes down to it if this is all i have to worry about i can maybe deal i could maybe learn to be okay i think that's all any of us can hope for her father said so, I mean, yeah, again, just to talk for a second about how the sequel both relates to and makes itself distinct from Worm. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Worm, we have a character talking about this idea like, hey, I've been through some shit, dad. But I think like 
now that things are stable, I think I can maybe deal. I think I could be okay with this. I think, Mm -hmm. I think everything's going to be okay. And then this book ending with, you know, not just surviving trauma, but overcoming trauma saying, saying to, to herself and her friends, you know, we, we press on, we, there's always a way forward. There's always a way, um, to get to a good place. And yeah, I mean, th- they're similar, but not identical sentiments, I think. Right. I mean, I think one of them, I, I think I could maybe learn to be OK. The other is I think it'd be good, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I, I feel like good is better than OK. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like that shows a progression there. Like like it's still uncertain. It's still hard work. It's still difficult. We're still going to have to work. There's still darkness all around us, but maybe we can be better than OK maybe we can be good and and i know she's talking about the name can be good but i think that relates to yes everything the the very idea of it yes 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 that what it symbolizes yeah Um, that's it that's the end of ward that's it that's the end that's the end it's wonderful um i mean like i i love that you pulled the final line of of worm here because i i kind of was talking about the fact that i think this does wrap up the parahumans story as well Mm -hmm. um and i mean like i said at the very very beginning i'd be totally fine with another story in here but i would also be completely content saying goodbye to this world knowing that this is where we leave its state that that this is this is it like Mm -hmm. because i think it, it fits like it fits the idea of of the struggle of against entropy versus the acceptance that things end and we're still going to do everything we can despite that. Um, let the book end, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll still I look, I'm going to read anything that exists, but I'm totally fine saying goodbye to, to yeah. the universe of parahumans. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very satisfying. It, yes, it, it 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 said it. it uh, what was the word? It articulated its theme mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. It did. Yeah, this is. Perfect. Excellent epilogue, huh? Just like really, really satisfying from start to finish. There were like, if I think back to my feelings on the worm epilogue, there were chapters in there I was less interested in. I really never cared for the teacher stuff in the Mm. worm epilogue. Um, That, that felt most, most more establishing potential future stuff. I didn't have a experience like that in this one. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I just enjoyed it all from beginning to end. I felt it was all satisfying. I felt it was all a perfect thematic conclusion mm-hmm. to everything the story was talking about. Yeah, right. I mean, even the places where it almost feels like we were denied something, like just seeing Chris for a fraction of a second through a, a food slot. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, it's like, yeah, we were right. That was the last we saw of Chris. Mm-hmm. Not even mentioned again. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't even feel like that's like, I don't even feel like I was denied something there. I just yeah. felt like that's that's the ending that he deserves exactly um exactly what i mean yeah 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 all right scott are we is that it i, I guess I, that, I guess we well i mean we're having we a hard gotta, time stopping yeah so I let's mean, just read other people's answers yeah. to the discussion question for an hour yeah right yeah yeah um <laughs> much like yeah okay um you so, were gonna make a comparison there and then you just bailed on it i yes yes i was <laughs> <laughs> okay so we're just we're just moving on I have to credit the person who said it or it'll oh. be awkward. Now I don't remember who said it. It was Jess, right? Yes. Jess said, much like Return of the King, the 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 episode's over and now we're gonna talk for another hour. <laughs> 
All right. Let's uh, talk about the discussion question. What is your favorite part slash moment of Ward? Before we get into these answers, I have to say we specifically asked people to try to keep the amount they wrote down. And I would like to say thank you to everyone, because I think for the most part, people (laughs) either did that or they gave us a TLDR um, if they wrote a lot. So thank you very much. There's still a lot of answers, which I'm not surprised about, but uh, we're going to knock through these fairly quickly. Yes. All right. Everyone gets their moment, right? Everyone mm-hmm. gets their moment here at the end. Yeah. Uh, Karfa117 says 9.11 and a bit of 9.12, Victoria versus Lung. I'm bad at visualizing things in books, but the image of Victoria plummeting through the sky, bathed in orange and purple fire, desperately giving her 110% was one I had no problem imagining. Putting aside the badass action and the struggle of her pulling together as the disparate facets of herself was, was super cathartic and can best be summed up by my favorite quote of the book, which is also my TLDR. Hit like glory girl, hold nothing back as the wretch, judge like the warrior monk, problem solve as the scholar, and don't leave so- lose sight of who you fucking are because that's a metric shit ton to keep track of, Victoria Dallin. Oh, man. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Lost Man 138 says, the reveal that Rain was a fallen member and the later revelation of his therapy group, Bad Apple. When Victoria was introduced to her future team, there was something off about them. Of course, there was the joke they would own city and such then in rain's first interlude blam it was revealed that he was fallen but this reveal paled in comparison to the victoria and yamana conversation that there's someone in the group that yamana was worried about see rain had his big reveal this put him out of the running of people yamana was worried about i see what they're saying there because we had a reveal a rain reveal it meant it was someone else. Mm. If the death cultus is the least of our concerns, what the hell are the others hiding? This caused the community to jump down rabbit holes and look at everything with suspicion. Like what, Matt? Like what like, did they like chocolate, like a chocolate bar, Matt, like a chocolate bar. I'm still not convinced that was an entirely innocuous chocolate bar. <laughs> uh, Catbot says, says there are two scenes that come to mind for me. The first is during Victoria's first meeting with the rest of Breakthrough when Sveta walks in through the front door and sees Victoria. There's a brief second where neither of them really realize who they're looking at, followed by literally half a chapter during which Sveta is hugging Victoria. Fantastic, Weld says. This is perfect. Yeah, you're speaking the truth there, buddy. I actually had a little bit of trouble getting into Ward at first, but that part, that was what that was the bit that really hooked me. The second part... The second moment was at the end of 19.8 when Victoria finally realizes how fragile one feels about her. That ending was just wonderful. Despite how dark most of Infrared got, I may or may not have spent the rest of the morning with the warm, fuzzy feelings after reading that over coffee. Yes, I agree with those warm, fuzzy feelings. Now that the book is over and I am not continually worried about whether fragile one's good or bad, um, I can just be like, yes, that was wonderful. Yeah. All right, Lone Wolf 828. 424 says my favorite section of the story is probably arc 12 the conflict is so incredibly personal and emotionally gripping with cradle having taken most of the team to pieces and victoria grappling with the idea that she might need to kill these people on top of that you have the incredible set piece battle in the vistified brockton bay along with some of the best interludes in the story with love lost 12 dot all and dauntless and it all leads up to some of the best catharsis in the book he wins fuck that Mm-hmm. love it so good Extas Navo says what I like best is having you by my side reading along aw 
Aww. Reading outside of my native language is still tricky for me, even after years of practice. I still have to Google various words and the meaning of cape names do not get every figure of a speech. So having you alongside helped me understand worm better. Sometimes I would read a chapter and before rereading it, I would wait for you to tell me what it, what was really said. Even when I sometimes disagree with Scott, not mad, just Scott. How dare you? How dare you? That's okay. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much. That's so nice. We really appreciate that. Um, next up, we have Scandia Cub. Why can't I read? Scandiaca Blessing, who says, probably recency bias doing some hard work, but 20.10 hit me so hard I wept like a small child. All the people that we have loved for years sang what in their eyes was likely a final goodbye left me sobbing, left me as a sobbing wretch at 2 a.m., still with a strange warmth where I trusted that they would be okay. Also, that one time where Victoria punched that person real good. Uh huh. Yeah, I like that too. I like both of those times. Mm hmm. Mr. Triple LL says favorite moment of award would be arc nine and specifically the Capricorn interludes because I really uh, related to them on a deeper level by seeing myself and my twin brother in both of them. Cool. That's great. I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to read this book having a twin. (laughs) That would be wow. Yes. Yes. I I know. I know. I know a twin and we've had conversations about that and, and also about Ashley and damsel. Oh, um, that's cool. And how interesting that is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So Peter Enigma says the Martin family dinner. It feels cliche to say, but I'm amazed it isn't here, here being on the answers list. Uh, they say, so sometimes media will do a moment where everything clicks, a lot of niggling doubts or things you rationalize away, and then the work pulls away a curtain and goes, this is what's actually been happening. A long time ago, my answer to what was best, the best example of this was a sitcom, the one with the quote, there is no answer, but X is the answer. That show blew my mind, leaving tiny hints I shrugged off until it said, you really should have been paying attention, dumbass. And then Ward went and outdid it. I know what show Peta's talking about, too. I love that show. Um, we knew there was something off about Kenzie. We knew there was something weird about her parents. And in that space of two chapters, we knew Kenzie was a monster and then knew she was a victim. I'm sorry my parents are such fucking embarrassment, she said before slamming the garage door. What a villain line. It was built up so well with a creeping sense of dread in the chapter. And how amazing is it that Wildbow in the next chapter got us to care about her and pity her and love her while still keeping her dangerous. It's probably best bit of build up and payoff I've seen in a book. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes obviously uh, great moment i can't wait yeah. to go back and read that in particular yeah yeah me too me too well said well said rid tom says oof toss up between victoria giving children flying trips at the hospital and the love creator the former has victoria feel alive and good about herself for uh for the longest time doing something we actually rarely see superheroes do these days just helping people in need she doesn't have any supernatural healing abilities but being able to make kids smile or simply read them a book to sleep sets the mood for the kind of hero Victoria is. The latter has Victoria get what she deserves, unrequited love. For so long, Victoria has been looking over her shoulder or waiting for the world to come crashing down around her via her power. By the time of blasting the network and getting wretched again, uh, she seemingly, seemingly lost control of her force field once more and given attraction to her disgust, um, putting her into an unhealthy mindset. Until Fragile One shows her just how much she loves Victoria and always has. Faced with that exposure, Vic finally receives and and reciprocated what she's always wanted all along. It's a toss-up because both moments are when we see Victoria at her happiest and proudest, feeling in in the top of the world when so much of Ward has her dragged down through hell and back via monsters. Both cement the hero she is and the person behind that hero. 
Yeah, that's great. Love it. I, I do think the thing I I did to myself the most throughout reading this book, and the thing I probably most regret and a reread would expose more is just my kind of uncertain fear at whether I should trust fragile yeah. one, you know, like yeah. I think that really painted a lot of these interactions that I think on reread would seem so much more triumphant and wonderful without this, this little doubt in the back of my head is like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, which I think that's like exact. it's my fault for framing it that way. So I, this is one of those moments, things that I look forward to in a reread as well. You and your chocolate, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. How dare I? Um, alternate arrival says there are so many great moments that have been mentioned already, but f- probably the most viscerally uncomfortable thing I've read. The scene where Aaron tries to give herself to rain was a fucking masterclass in giving a character everything they wanted in the worst possible way. Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, I, f- I had forgotten about that. That was, yeah, that was rough. Well, I mean, each of the breakthrough member interludes are individually my favorite thing in the world. So, so yes, mm-hmm. that definitely that. <laughs> uh, Zendrex says my favorite part of Ward is the impact the community has had on my life. I listened to we've got, um, I don't know which one. Did you <laughs> did you forget the name of our show? No, but WGW. I'm not sure which 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 show. Um, for seven months or so before becoming a patron and joining the Discord. At first, I was like, nice, some cool people to talk about parahumans with. Then a month and a half in, a discussion on the Discord made me realize I'm trans. Now, 19 months later, I have plenty of real friends on the Discord that I would never have had without Worm and Ward. I also really love Ashley and Victoria's growing friendship, especially the non-platonic subtext. <laughs> yeah. I love that answer. Thanks so much, Jess. Uh, yeah. I, I'm so happy you're part of the community as well. Yeah. It's great. It's been great having you here. Um, RL Raider says, Rain's interlude takes the cake. Especially Love Lost, since it was the first book that made me tear up since Bridge to Terabithia in sixth grade. Aside from that, Rain Being Fallen was the first oh shit reveal, and it really sucked me into the story after being on the fence till then. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention to Finale's trigger event, since she's the most relatable character in Parahumans. Yeah. Those are all good answers. Great, um, great moments. Yeah. yeah. So many great moments here. Yeah. Uh, Farm Fresh Hornet says, undeniably, inarguably, obviously, 12.none, best dad <laughs> interlude. An entire arc of tension ratcheting up, 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 slams into a resolution beautifully and satisfyingly. And then we top things off with some of the most beautiful and evocative writing in the whole book, crossed with the first inklings of the climax to the whole book. Nothing of Wild Blow's writing has connected with me and affected me like this chapter. I buckled and finally made a Reddit account specifically to talk about this chapter when it dropped last year. Wow. Everything about this perspective and the events we see and the people we meet, the hints about what life in Brockton Bay was like when it wasn't an active war zone, it's so rich and deep in the way most chapters simply can't be. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have dessert for every meal, so to speak. And it's not happy. It all goes wrong. We see Sean lose his son, his world, his grip on reality. But he perseveres. How does a person keep from being destroyed in a grim, unrelenting situation, cut off from physical, physical contact, stuck, unable to interact with the world in a meaningful way? Just like we are. He, he reaches out to other people, letting his, their stories sustain him. And when he runs out of that, he turns to fiction, keeping himself sane through any and all connections to the people he loves. 12.none is my favorite part of Ward and probably in the top 10 of my favorite pieces of writing, full stop. I, I, I love that. And I, I'm loving this view of Dauntless as kind of a microcosm of the things that the book ends up saying at mm-hmm. the end of it. Um, I need to go reread 12.none. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to reread the book now. Well, so. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. Um, Wanson says Victoria is normally such a reserved person with her public mask firmly in place, even though she rarely wears an actual mask. Her upbringing has made sure she always makes maintaining her facade a top priority, even before making sure she's actually okay. That's why I love every time this mask slips and she lets out something real, something raw, whether that manifests as bouncing line line wings head off the concrete a few times or slapping the hard boiled bastards, scaring Lord of Loss into compliance by taking off her mask and letting him see how pissed off she is, hugging Sveta after seeing her again for the first time in years, tearing through Deathchester after her Mockument clone crosses a few lines, or recognizing her passenger's real feelings for her. Or, you know, tossing Lisa through a portal and quipping about it being funny. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it is. It is great. Sarah Penguin says Ashley, every Ashley part, her mixture of sass and wit Eclipse arc, how she worked so hard to get better, and even though she struggled at times in the end, she was happier for it. How she took care of Kenzie and Victoria, and all three are better for it. Her being Victoria's first ever goth GF. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, next up, we have Brick Manor, who says, I think it's the Gilpatrick POV and Rain's voyage back to Shard's place. Space. Gil shows a sympathetic non-cape, not a young man ready to die for the cause like Rain, but a mature man willing to live humbly for one, one drop in the tide of humanity swimming in the right direction. Seeing his crisis with Lucky Break, whom Gilpatrick couldn't save, reflected in a situation with Rain, was amazing. Him dragging out a wounded comrade in a supernaturally magnitudes worse than peak human rage was amazing. His commitment to dredging up his deepest, darkest wounds, thought, wounded thoughts as an empathetic cry of distraction which ended up being dragged even higher by anguished heart was amazing. He has a sort of self-awareness that led him to only apply 40 interpretation hacks when he needed and just leg it for the gentler inclines, which is a self-confidence in his lack of power, but full capability and agency that capes seem to lack. And he tries to share it with rain throughout the chapter. I like it. I, I, yeah, I mean that God, this, this book is insane that it has just, I, I like, I almost like forgot about this chapter and it's like, amazingly good right yeah we still got we still got like two pages of answers left three pages and no one has repeated yet yeah i think is a testament to just how many fucking moments in this book there are yeah it's stunning yeah daedalus fallen zero says the first part of the book that actually had me sweating on the edge of my seat and tearing up was the martin family dinner it was a master class in writing tension into dialogue and stands out as in my opinion one of the best scenes in all of wild Bo's works it's on par with the cafeteria scene cell arc and some twig twig stuff yeah <laughs> yeah um uh, uh, that's our first repeat but martin family dinner it's, it's totally. really great yeah yep. Uh, David L. Hunt says there are so many great parts of Ward, but I keep coming back to 10.11, where Victoria is helping to care for the mutilated navigators. She expresses such amazing kindness, helping people who have been horrifically mutated by some unknowable power, never shirking or flinching, while all the while you can tell the strain of dealing with something so like her own personal fate worse than death is nearly destroying her. Wildblood drives this home by having her use the same communication system that Victoria herself uses while in the asylum. I know in my heart that I would never have been able to draw on the level of moral courage that it must have taken to do this. I had seen Victoria's drive for justice before, but I'd never realized how kind, how good she was until this moment. Here's the moment that I realized I absolutely loved this character. Oh yeah. And I I love that answer. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So, so evident how hard it was for her to do that and doing Mm -hmm. it anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Professor Crispy says, each time whilst reading a chapter, I realized that it was a breakthrough interlude. I was always so hungry to hear more about the pasts of these people that my reaction was was visible. A little, oh, this is going to be good, shiver of anticipation. <laughs> the other one was the split between Darlene's interlude, best fight, by the way, and then when Victoria came upon the aftermath of the attack. I think that emotional impact of that hopeless scene hit me so hard, I just had to sit down for a while and process. Very powerful moment and one that uh, will um, stick with me for a long time. Yeah, that's great. That's a great answer. Yeah, I agree. Um, next up, we have BW257, who says the Victoria Lisa buddy cop arc. Yes, yes, this is my answer. <laughs> I won't hesitate to admit that Lisa is my favorite pair of humans character. So my answer is motivated in part by enjoying her have more screen time. But it was over the course of this arc that Lisa and Victoria's dynamic was much more heavily developed. And it was delightful. Lisa is Victoria's foil in so many ways. Thinker to her brute villain to her hero mastermind to her doer and ultimately this arc is what enabled the shard sabotage plan to work in the end without lisa and victoria working side by side and being willing to collaborate victoria wouldn't have been able to convince lisa to get bonesaw to a place where she could work on the sound plague thing and i think it's a fitting juxtaposition to lisa's role during gold morning that the world was saved because of her rather than in spite of her Uh, in parentheses taylor went behind her back to get amy to jailbreak her shard And in the end, Victoria and Lisa are totally not friends, which is my favorite dynamic (laughs) of the story. (laughs) Yes, yes. I I love Lisa. Made no secrets about that. Yeah, the 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 buddy cop procedural stuff like was so good. Mm -hmm. So, so, so good. It's just so fun, right? Yeah. Just just downright fun. Yeah. Sandwich says, uh, how can I choose just one? My favorite heartwarming moment was the end of Sveta's interlude when she got her own body. My favorite badass moment was when Rain fought Snag. My favorite tear-jerking moment was Swan Song's death. My favorite funny moment was when Torso tried to punch the Seamurg. <laughs> yeah, it's it got does. everything, right? <laughs> it does, it does, it does. Uh, next we have Jason Stargazer who says foils climactic duel with March in 12 dot X foils has been one of my favorite parahumans characters since worm. And at that point of the book, I was fully expecting that March would be the main antagonist of, of arc 13 and foil would probably sacrifice herself to defeat her in the end. Blinding and heavens were both extremely dark and brutal. And they seemed even more so since I was reading them live over the course of three months to the point that I was considering taking a break from ward due to the sheer intensity of it all. Instead, Foyle scored a pretty complete victory, though at the temporary loss of a hand, which is almost a heroic rite of passage, e.g. Anakin slash Luke Skywalker, Bucky Barnes slash Winter Soldier, Roy Harper slash Arsenal, Oliver Queen slash Green Arrow, in The Dark Knight Returns, etc. That combined with the revelation that Vista was still alive, and key to Foyle's victory, no less, was probably the single most cathartic moment of the book for me. It's great. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I mean that was that was, and especially the the you know the trolling of the uh, <laughs> of the ending of that fight. Oh, it was so fun. It was, was so fu- like was sometimes amazing. like we we take books really seriously, Matt, and we talk about uh, themes and complexity and all this stuff. Sometimes books are just fun. Yeah. They're supposed to be fun, yeah. and and there's so many movie moments in this book that are just like like that that are just like oh my god, that's so clever, that's so creative, that's so fun to just kind of fake out your audience like that. Yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. Sometimes Wildbo names the cape um, scapegoat uh, William. <laughs> you know, it's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, 
Ibarra Watt says, uh, the dream room with Rain's cluster was a masterwork. Every time I, it came up was fantastic. But my favorite moment in Ward was when Breakthrough all get caught in the dream. I adore this scene and immediately re- reread it over and over when it came out. Yeah, man, I wish I could. I wish I knew which scenes I had reread because mm-hmm. some I reread just because I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, and I just had to. And then obviously I reread almost everything. No, literally everything for the script. Mm-hmm. But there are some that I reread twice. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Erstein says 14.9 and 14.10 when Victoria is stuck in the cell with Amy. I've been waiting for something like this to happen since I realized Victoria was the protagonist. It was intense and absolutely fascinating to read. And then getting to see the parts of it from Amy's perspective in 16.z just made it even better. By which I mean worse. But a good worse? <laughs> It was an excellent read anyway. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's so intense, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Groby says, I feel a little shallow, but as soon as I heard the question, I had the immediate thought. Um, and I think that uh, in this first case, the first thought is telling. Lung versus Victoria all the way. The amazing power synergy of Lung and the pharmacist creating the towering pillars of flame. Victoria giving 110%. The whole team scrambling to finish Lung with crazy combos. Lung tanking the power burning flame by basically tearing out his midsection uh, to, the, to the amazing solve of taking out the pharmacist so that Goddess can bypass Lung's durability. I'm pretty good at visualizing a scene, and this one was actually breathtaking. As in, I recall stopping halfway through to render the scene and actually gasp. It was awesome to see Lung fight a POV that didn't take him out immediately and to just see how terrifying he is to face. In a book with count- countless incredible moments and such brilliant characters, this will forever be first in my list of best moments. You know what's really cool about this answer? Mm-hmm. This is um, the second person who has said this fight, but the first person said they have trouble visualizing scenes in books, and and that's why this scene worked on them. And this person says they're really good at visualizing scenes like this in books, and it still worked on them. And I think it's just really cool how it can work on both of these people um, who both have different ways they approach books and different ways they read and different strengths in their reading and yet it worked on them equally i thought that's pretty cool that's, that's a great point cool. yeah no that's that's a great uh, statement about what writing can do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so next we have penitent edgelord who says my favorite part of ward was probably the capricorn interludes i relate to both of the vera twins strongly but in different ways so their differing perspectives genuinely challenged me at a couple of points also reach was a cool team Furcade is the best girl and we got some insight into moonsong which paid off beautifully in arc 19 i'll be looking forward to this part of the book in particular when i start my inevitable second read through awesome yeah I i love those interludes too um it was one of those things where really getting to explore these characters and like as as we learn more about the relationship and it evolves. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. A lot. Yeah, me too. Still Hex says uh, the evolving power. Uh, sorry, the, the evolving metaphor of powers, the primary conceit of pair humans in worm. It would be difficult to argue against powers being a pretty clear multi-level me- metaphor for trauma. The details are nebulous, but that's true of pretty much any metaphor. At first, that seems pretty true about Ward, too. The difference being in the approach. Worm is about trauma. Ward is about recovery, as they say. But as Ward progresses, the metaphor shifts. Powers hurt, but they help, too, even heal. You can find that in Worm, and there seems, uh, and there it seems uh, the well is invariably poisoned. In Ward, Bonesaw replaces Ashley's knife hands with normal ones. Bao turns Sveta from an amorphous murder tangle into a humanoid with actual arms and legs. Valkyrie and Nilbog bring people back to life. 
None of these solutions are perfect, but all are unambiguously goods. If powers are trauma, how can they have such a positive impact? Does the metaphor have to be abandoned entirely? In response, I'm going to paraphrase a character from Order of the Stick. You once told me that you are who you are on the worst day of your life, and that's true. That's 100% true. But you know who else you are? You are who you are on the next day when you wake up and have to decide whether you're going to make this, this the new worst day of your life. You are who you are on the day after that too and the day after that. All of them count, all of them, worst and best, all the way to the end. That's from that's from Order of the Stick. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's another OOTS that I'm not aware of. That's from that little Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, the thing that we covered comic? through Doofcast, and we were yeah. like, yeah, this is pretty fun. That's from that. Uh, I, I, Holy I mean, shit! Maybe there's guess, another. <laughs> no, I think that I think that's like we got to go read more of that. Yeah, I, I guess. guess I guess we do. I guess we do. <laughs> Holy shit! That, that 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 thing gets way deeper than it did when we stopped. I, I, it sure does. It sure does. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I totally agree. I think I think we had a moment in the story where I kind of finally realized that I need to let go of this powers or trauma uh, metaphor that I I had thought about. You know all throughout worm and yeah. through much of ward uh, i totally agree with that um and i think that i think that that beautiful statement from order of the stick um applies perfectly to to a lot of what ward is saying yeah mm-hmm. yep. all right next we have st one steerage with a one my favorite part of ward is anytime victoria and tattletale team up yes particularly when they're a detective duo in black double yes it felt like Victoria's story had finally gotten enough momentum on its own to meet back up with the remnants of Worm on friendly terms, with both sides dovetailing into one of the most suspenseful and exciting parts of the story. We get to see Victoria put to the test as she's ostracized by the very authority she's supposed to reach out to, see the duo uncover the vastness of Teacher's scheme, and receive some of the best banter in the series between Victoria, Tattletail, The Tenders, and Snuff. We hardly knew ye. Rest in peace. <laughs> Black story stays mostly street level, which is great. Unlike Breakthrough, Tattletail does not mollycoddle Victoria. Mollycoddle's another cape. <laughs> and we see some of our deepest insight into the world of Case 53s and what they all have to go through. Overall, the dream team set the dream team team up of Victoria and Tattletail made for some of the best of Ward and only could function so well in a sequel because we understood both heroine and villain's points of view so well. Yeah, I gotta admit, I love that stuff too. Loved it. So do you. I, I, I kind of want, you know, after this conversation, the thing I'm most likely to just like scroll back to immediately is just black. Just mm-hmm. reread our black again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, Tigon the Fiery answers, um, fuck that. <laughs> but that which time? Me. But which time? Right. Which time? I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a great answer. I love it. Uh, last Finally, we've reached the end of these wonderful, wonderful answers. We have Data Snake 69, who says the best part of Ward was Lisa and Victoria's journey from antagonists to the kind of not friends who go out for coffee together. Also, Lisa is finally taking some time for self-care after burning the candle at both ends for a significant portion of her teen years and literally all her entire adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect Fair. answer. And here's so here's what I want to do, Matt. You and I are going to be talking about this book overall next week. But as we leave this final episode of talking about the book proper and as we leave the, this discussion question behind, I, I want everyone listening to just look at at the last half hour of what we just talked about, where, as we said, there were some repeats here in the second half of this, but 
also so many people picked so many different moments and there are so many moments that were left out of here. No one talked about love lost really, who is one of my favorite characters in the book. And, and I think what happens here is when a book is this long and sprawling, when we look back on it, we kind of flatten it, right? Like we flatten it down to, Oh, this is the blah, blah, blah arc. And this is the, this is the, the March arc. And this is the teacher arc. And this is the goddess arc. And, and we flatten this very long sprawling story down to like one or two sentences. And I, and that's a natural thing. We do it with everything. But when we do that, I think we forget all these little moments. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask this question at the end here, because like, there are so many of these moments all throughout the story that they add up to something that I thought was pretty great, but individually they're also so incredible. And I think like, I think it's just remarkable to see the variety and the range and the, the ways in which the story and the beats of it, the little beats of it touched people. Um, I I loved I loved reading those out loud. This is my favorite discussion question of our hundred and something episodes. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, it just revealed what a what a what a treasure this has been. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are like dozens of interlude chapters, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and 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 the interludes are also wildly different from each other. I think different people find different things in them. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I answered my favorite, which I I think I'm the kind of person where my favorite changes from day to day. But right now, um. You know, the Capricorn interludes, I think, had the biggest impact on me as a person. And so I'm always going to think of those first when I think about Ward, honestly. Cool. That's great. Awesome. Uh, all right. So next week's discussion question. Well, that's the mailbag. You're mm-hmm. sending us the questions. Yeah. So you can ask us questions on the Reddit thread um, or you can send us an email. If you're on the Reddit thread, please put the word mailbag in your answer. Um, so I can easily search for them versus any other comments people have about the episode. Um, if you are emailing them to us, please put finale mailbag in the subject line. So I know what this is coming from. Uh, it's uh, gotwormpod at gmail.com. So that's where you can send them and you can ask us anything. I think we want to try to keep it about Ward in particular. But if there's some questions about Worm, if there's some questions about Twig, not Twig, about Pact. I haven't read Twig. You've read Twig. Don't ask questions about Twig. Because then I'll just sit here looking goofy. But I have mm-hmm. read packed, so we can talk about that. Um, yeah, we want to leave it open to y'all, whatever you want to do. So ask us whatever questions, and we'll try to answer as many of them as we can live on our show next week. Yeah, and that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You are all part of this show. So despite the fact that we're basically done, you can provide us with advice, <laughs> questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. Yeah, you can reach out to us always, always, always. Even when we're done with the show, please continue to always reach out to us. The email at gotwormpod at gmail.com over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. Or you can follow our personal Twitter accounts. I am Scott Daly 85 and Matt's is more adin a ma a I'm sure that helped. <laughs> If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss one episode. <laughs> never miss the final episode. Yeah. yeah. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And, and in all seriousness, um, this feed is probably going to see some use going forward. So, you know, subscribe. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely is. There's some stuff. Yes. The answer probably, to that is, I mean, yes. definitely. So, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, you can find this show also over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can see all of the podcasts on 
the Doof Media Podcasting Network, including the one we talked about at the top of the show, Doof on Poof, the newest show where Elliot and Ruben explore um, Wild Bo's Poof, the packed side cool. Yeah. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> I don't even right, think yeah. that really works because it like that even even side cool implies yeah some knowledge the, needed of packed yeah. which packed story. Mm-hmm. Yes. No wait. I don't packed, know. Packed verse story. Packed the uh, we we need a better name for that universe anyway. Um, that's right, Scott. Um, if you like any of of our shows, including you know that the new one, the Doof one that's on ending, Doofon Poof. We've got Warm, we've got Ward, all these. Consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $45 per month level allows you to select a TV show, book, or video game for us to do an episode of the Doofcast about. This almost always results in us talking about anime, but hey, sometimes it's Cowboy Bebop and we actually like it. Uh, This, as well as every other level, gives you the ability to vote in our quarterly fan art and costume contests and participate in the excellent discord chat. Of course, while you're over there on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash and donate to him as well. This has been his world that we played in and yeah. he's going to go on creating more of them. The best time to donate to wild Bo is right when he finishes a story yes. because he's finished the story and, and you can be like, Hey, that was great. Thanks. Here, here, here's some, here's some financial representation of how much I loved your story. Yeah. Um, Matt, you're the Ron Burgundy of podcast scripts. I got to remember to switch things or you're just going to read them. You read, oh. I, the funny thing is you read that like you had never said it before. And it was the same, <laughs> it was the same, same exact reading, exact thing from last, from last week. I look, I just, I just read what's <laughs> on the teleprompter. Um, I, I I mean I I'm sure I repeat myself in all kinds of other ways though that that would be funny if funny and demoralizing if someone showed them to me. Well, um, you're like inviting people to do that right now. Oh God! Oh well. Yes. Um. This week, special thanks to new patrons. We have first the Bidoofs, Jack L, Taylor S, Farrell, Foxy D, Doctor Himbo, Comb Jelly, Spencer M, Michael B, Bernie, Taco Tabac. M, Camilla S, Victoria B, and NCMS. We have new doof dancers, Farrell, Austin H, Alexa B, and Numerous. We have new doof troopers, Robin T, and Vic, and new supreme leader doof, Dadanista. Wow. Um, folks. Welcome. Well, uh, wow. Thank you. Uh, and wow. Yeah. Uh, Wow. <laughs> I think some of you may be from, from Kingslingers, but I think a lot of these people are just taking an opportunity to kind of uh, say thank you in a way for the show. And, yeah. you know, thank you for donating. Yeah. We really thank appreciate that. So much. Yeah. It's, I, I am kind of speechless. Um, I, every week I'm speechless, but that thank, thank, thank everyone. I mean, this has been like, we're going to have a whole, we're going to have a whole episode next week where we're just going to talk like this the entire time. But this has been, a once in a lifetime experience um, for me and I know for Matt and thank you all of you who made it possible, um, you know, both just through listening and, and through supporting us. And um, uh, it's God, it's incredible. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, just, just I, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Just, just that's, I mean, I don't think there's anything left to say except thank you. Um, and also the, all the stuff we're going to say next week. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, 
and of course, those of you who who cannot donate, uh, you we still we we love you so much as well. You can help us out by sharing the show. I think a lot of people are going to be starting Ward now that it's done, um, and maybe just suggest, hey, are you looking for some people to talk about it? Is is has the rest of the crowd moved on to Poof and nobody's talking about Ward anymore? Well, here's two people uh, frozen by time talking about Ward perpetually that can read along with you. So great time um so it's it, sharing them would be very very appreciated yeah good point good point yeah um yeah well uh that's it folks next week uh the mailbag and the finale of the show wow wow i think it just hit me that the, sh- the show's over <laughs> like the book's over i think yeah. it just hit me yeah fuck yeah.